Donald. I don't think you've been completely honest with me. Know this, son of Cole. You and I, we fight for the same cause, the protection of this world. From this day forward, you can count me as your ally. If you return the items you have taken from Jane. Stolen. Borrowed. Banded together from remote galaxies are the most sinister villains of all time. The Legion of Dudes! Dude! His dudeness, duder, El Duderino. Dude! Dude! Dedicated to a single objective, the conquest of the universe. Name? He said it was Thor? It's the Legion of Dudes podcast. And now, here's the dudes. This is episode 141, our Thor extravaganza. This is Russ, and here with me tonight are not only a full slate of dudes... But Mr. Brad Milo from Half Hour Wasted. How's it going, fellas? Fantastic. It's going well. Don't you mean it's episode 131? Oh, there it is. Oh, did you see what I did there? Verily. I like what you've done there, Jim. That's nice. It's good good to hear the... it's good to hear you guys' voice. I feel like, other than Ken, I haven't really had a chance to talk to any of you guys lately. Well, I'll see you in a couple weeks, big boy. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Three bags full. Where are you guys going? There's a, uh, the new, I call it the new and improved Dallas Con is happening up, uh, up here in, uh, in the mid cities in Irving. Actually, yeah, it was in Irving, which is where the old Dallas Cowboy Stadium was in the city of Irving. Um, the show is going to be twice as big, at least, as it has been the past several years. It's more centrally located between Dallas and Fort Worth, so more people can go. Um, the floor space, it you know, is like I said, twice as big. It, there's going to be uh, tons of celebrity guests. Um, it's uh, it's it's looks like it's really really going to be an improvement over the last couple of years. Our favorite artist is, is going to be there, Brad. John Romita Jr. I am so excited, and uh, if I have to stand in line for three hours just to say thanks and shake his hand, I will. This I will is, do it as well. I'll be is, right there with you. This is normally the part oh. of the conversation where I would ask you to take Amazing Spider-Man number 600 and smack him in the face for me, but I'm not going to do that this time. I'm, uh, I might, uh, you know, I've got a, a, a couple of things I'm going to have him sign. Um, uh, Russ, I don't know if you saw it, or maybe I mentioned it, but there's like a special print he's got, a Dallas Comic-Con print, that uh, he's, they're selling for, I think it's 20 bucks, and he'll sign it, and that looks, yeah. pr- that looks actually pretty cool. Yeah, I'm definitely going to get that, and I'm bringing. I had both of the Simonsons sign my uh, Mutant Massacre hardcover at Super Show, so I'm definitely going to have him sign my Mutant Massacre hardcover, um, my X Men Mutant Massacre hardcover. So I'm on a quest to get like all the key signatures from that hardcover. Um, Very cool, and a couple other things. But yeah, I'm really, really excited um, to to be able to just meet him, and like you said, Brad, just um, you know, shake his hand and tell him thank you. Um, he is. One of the one of the key reasons I think why I collect comics the way I do because his art 
was pretty much my first exposure to the X-Men, and so it, it, it holds a special place for me. Well, I, I could say the same thing about Amazing Spider-Man when I first started reading it. He and Ron Friends were the two artists that I remember being just s- struck with, and uh, I've followed him you know, ever since. So we're here to talk about Thor, the Barely. movie... Wait, the so man, not the myth here to talk about? We're How not about here to talk about Jr.? <laughs> well, you know, I figured somebody else would do it for me, so I, did, I wouldn't have to do it. So what do you guys think? I'll go first. Please do. I loved it. I'm going to try not to repeat myself a lot uh, with what you'll hear me and Frank and Bill say about the movie on the show that aired a couple of days before this show airs. But um, I really can't find anything wrong with it. If I had to Nick Pitt, Nick nitpick about something I probably could find something to nitpick but heck I know Ken has said a couple of times he thinks it's the best Marvel movie I think it's one of the best I I loved the first Iron Man Uh, I love this one just as much it was just if you had told me years ago that they would have made a Thor movie that would have been entertaining I would have said you're full of crap because Thor's boring and who wants to listen to Verily These and Thou's and Duff and all that but it's that's hardly what it was. I'm so so very happy. Let me just qualify my statement a little bit. I absolutely think it is the best of the Marvel movies, but that is also like saying which cookie tastes the best. You know, it, it's they're all good. It's the double stuffed Oreos, right? But they're all they're all very very good in their own in their own ways. But of these four movies, this one without doubt ranks up on top. I mean, they hit every beat for me. Pitch perfect, everything. My, my biggest concern with the movie was kind of like what Brad was saying about the these and thous, but more specifically, marrying that Thor mythology, magic, whatever, into the Marvel movie universe that has been established in Iron Man and Hulk. And I thought that was done perfectly. And once that got established and it had the right balance, the rest fell into place for me. So you're saying you like it the, the best of the four movies in the present continuity? That's what I'm talking about when I say Marvel movie. I'm not, I'm not counting X-Men and Spider-Man and everything else. It, it's okay, better than those, be but I'm, I'm talking of the group of four and now five in July that are making up this, this Avengers continuity that they're building. And the four is the two Iron Man, the Incredible Hulk, which was the second Correct. one. Correct. And, and the Thor. And now Thor, right. And technically, you can kind of count the first uh, Hulk as well. Absolutely yeah. not. No, you can't. Why it's, can't you? The second one is considered a sequel. Yeah, it, it's a, it doesn't it contradict really... anything in the first movie. Oh Was my god! Movie, yes, it does. No, but they bought back the rights afterwards, and they they counted the first one as there's it, the second one's kind of a requel, but it's more of a sequel. That first Hulk has nothing to do with the second Hulk. I, I, I mean, we're not here to talk about Hulk, about Hulk like this, but I mean, you can't take the bastardization that they made of that origin story in Hulk and say that has anything to do with what they did in the Incredible Hulk. But it's, it's not contradicted it, uh, either. It, it, uh, it as far as Marvel is concerned, from what I understand, it is in loose continuity the with source. the others. That's I've never kind seen of anything of the, of the kind with that. No way. There's, there's, there's... I want to see, the, I want to see the a The second source. Incredible Hulk movie doesn't contradict really anything in the first That's because Hulk it ignores movie. it all. It completely dismisses it. it none it, of it No, happens. it doesn't because they recap the origin in, in the credits. In the, in the opening credits for The Incredible Hulk. 
which looks nothing at all like what they did to in the in the original book was I don't, I don't know maybe the university is the same name is, is the same but it's uh, it may not look like it but it's the same story it's the same origin that happened in the first one all right so the fact that they don't even discuss the nanobites the father all that other nonsense that, that they included into the that first hulk movie just because they didn't mention it i mean that does yes they don't mention it and therefore they don't contradict it but how can it possibly even live in that same that same world? I just I don't don't see it. I think and I've never until that, until I think un- the argument is that it does because it wasn't contradicted. Okay, I'm all right, you. all right, I hated all right, the first. all right. Then then and then I won a million dollars today because nobody told me I didn't. That's what you're basically saying. Just because they didn't they didn't mention it doesn't and you're saying it doesn't contradict it just because they didn't mention it. But they purposefully didn't contradict anything in it. I right. want to see a source because until you said that right here tonight, I've never heard that that movie was supposed to have anything to do in any way with that first movie. It's like – I'm looking. I'm pretty sure Jordan can produce a source. <laughs> I know he can. I really want to see it because I've never, ever heard that. And it, it is true. If, if, more, if, they, if they actually meant to make it as a sequel, then it's the I most think- ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. I've I've heard that as well. I uh, personally I could care less. I'm not. A, I wasn't a huge. I was a huge fan of about 25 minutes of the 2003 Hulk. The rest of it, I thought I could just leave and could care less. I hated um, the first Hulk. So, so the fact that whether or not the Incredible Hulk is a continuation, is a reboot, is a soft reboot, is contradictory, non-contradictory, I could care less because for me, I have written it off from my memory to to not care about at all i think another argument is that at the end of the first hulk he goes down south the second movie picks up with him in the generic southern hemisphere yeah yeah and so, I, I recognize that and i thought of that at the same time but at the same time like oh okay that, that's that's fine you know but when i saw that opening sequence i thought oh good they're going with more of the tv show version of the origin than they're going with the traditional comic origin but that's that's cool Never once did I even possibly think that was meant to be a retelling of what they did in that craptastic Hulk movie. All right, I realize this is this I mean, is they, not my show, but like you guys have already said, we're not here to talk yeah. about Hulk. <laughs> yeah. The last thing I want to say is there if if they wanted to include the only thing they had to do to to say the same say it was the same universe continuity, whatever, was was give me a Hulk poodle. If they go showed me that, then I would believe you that it was part of the same universe. <laughs> but along along the lines of what you were saying it is one of the top, you know. It yeah. it is in the top half of the better of the four movies. Yeah, I tell you, I was jonesing though for more uh, Marvel Universe stuff, and I've seen Iron Man, and Iron Man Two, quite a few times over the last year. So today, um, I I brought I put on uh, the the Incredible Hulk and watched that, and I'm like, oh, I can't wait for this to all come together. I was I was thrilled with Thor. What about you, John? I was thrilled with Thor. I probably like Iron Man, the original, better, but I think that's more of just my preference. I'm a bigger Iron Man fan than a Thor fan, but uh, definitely right up there. The thing that stuck out the most for me was the casting. I pretty much thought the casting was dead on, um, except maybe... I'm not the hugest Natalie Portman fan. I thought her character was like really cute. But I'm not sure that's how Jane Foster should be portrayed. Maybe Jim can kind of shed some more light on that as the Thor uh, expert of the group. I've only read Thor from JMS on, so 
Yeah, and uh, she's not in there very much, I and mean, she's in there, but not nearly. She's much of a, more of a supporting character, I think, in uh, in uh, the JMS run. Well, originally Jane Foster was the nurse who worked with Doctor Donald Blake. You know, in the original version of Thor, where Doctor Donald Blake would strike his cane on the ground and turn into Thor, and his cane would turn into Mjolnir, the magic hammer. Um, which, by the way, I love the way they worked that into the movie. Did you guys catch that? Donald Blake thing? Yeah. Don, the Donald yeah. Blake thing. Yes. Oh, yeah, there's an yes. X. And then, uh, oh, this is my colleague, Dr. Donald Blake. Donnie, Donnie, Donnie. <laughs> and we should mention, I don't think we mentioned that, but this will be a full spoilers talk. Oh, of the yeah. Movie. By, by the yeah, way. Spoilers on. <laughs> that was a very nice way to, to throw that in there. Yeah, absolutely. There were a lot of really cool little nods to the fans throughout the movie, and I really enjoyed that. The, the cameo with Hawkeye uh, just came out of nowhere. I'm like, <gasps> It's Hawkeye, you know, because yeah. I recognize that Jeremy Renner. Yeah, and then they call him by name too. Well, yeah, by as played. soon as he, as soon as he, uh, he reaches for the gun and then picks the crossbow, you're like, oh, that's Hawkeye. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I knew it was coming. I saw a clip of the outside scene, that upside fight, and uh, I saw him up in the in, in the in the crow's nest, and I'm like, that's, that's, that's Hawkeye. And then when he called him by name, Barton, I was like, oh, that's that's just awesome. And of course, his one line though, you know, make make the call. I'm starting to root for this guy. Yeah. yeah, it's like yep, yeah, that's Hawkeye. That, he's like, uh, you want me to take the shot, or just wait till he beats more guys up? Or yeah, are you send more guys in for him to beat up? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he's def- they've definitely given him the uh, the attitude of of Barton, which is really cool. Even better was Coulson's uh, or son of Cole's uh, uh, response. Like I haven't decided yet. <laughs> yeah, I really yeah. like the fact that Thor called him son of Cole. Yeah, I it didn't catch real, that. It was a it was a real quick yeah. It was a real quick thing, but uh, it was. It was um. It was after he was rethorified, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It was, I, I liked I was, it a lot. I was telling Russ in the email thread. I I could have sworn. And my guess was that this you know the little like after credits uh, part that we were going to see that Agent Coulson was a scroll. I liked that idea Which a lot. I thought really that was cute. the best idea I've ever heard. Because I had heard the scrolls are supposed to be in the Avengers movie that oh, Whedon is making. God, you know, really? so I thought that would have been a good way to tie it in. But that's not what's there. Not that what was there was was bad in any way. Yeah, I get to comments on that when we get there. Yeah, I <clears throat> I liked it a lot. I was really impressed. What impressed me most was how well it seems to fit in with Iron Man, and 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 I guess Hulk too. But it it really felt like it was cohesive, and I thought that was going to be the toughest part with Thor is trying to ground him into the Marvel universe, you know, given all of the mystical elements. And I think the scene um, where they fought the destroyer at the end of the movie, you know, of course, after he gets, you know, right before, and then after he gets his power back to me, I was like, okay, this totally fits in with what we've seen in the Iron Man movies and in the Hulk movie. And it doesn't seem like this one is tonally or thematically different from the rest. And, uh, and so kudos to, to everybody involved in that. Cause I really thought that was going to be the tough, tough part. Bill McGonnell uh, said that he felt like this movie, pretty much what you just said, that it meshed into the Marvel style. There has definitely been a Marvel style of movie lately, uh, you know, out of the four, and uh, that this one just felt like another chapter in that same story. 
I think the coolest thing about it too was that in a lot of the best superhero movies, you know, you see in the Dark Knight and Iron Man or whatever, you play to the strengths of the character and you you basically tell, you know, the archetypical story that we've already always seen with the character. You know, Iron Man did that very well again in the Dark Knight, and this is very much a typical Thor story. You know, Thor gets all high and mighty and, and too big for his britches. Odin not Odin knocks him down to earth to teach him humility. You know, it's it's you know very much right out of you know Lee and Kirby, and um, it just was cool to see them playing to the strengths of the character, and you know having that meld like you guys said into this Marvel style. I really liked how they were able to take the old Kirby Stanley essence and meld it with the the current JMS feel to the end story more or less. You know, because Straczynski got a story credit. Yeah. Uh, and a cameo, by the way. Did you guys catch his cameo? Yeah, yeah. He was the guy that first tries to pick up the the hammer out in the out right. in the desert. Right. Um, I, I think it was really neat how they were able to, and it's one of the things I appreciated most about it was that they were able to, to, it, it what it felt like it was an update, you know, quote unquote update, but it didn't feel like an update because it felt like the old Lee Kirby stuff. Well, that's the, the, the whole production design I thought was really out of not only Lee and Kirby, but also Simonson later, like kind of building off that, you know, the yeah. giant golden city, you know, the, the, the giant, you know, cosmic displays in the background, the rainbow bridge, you know, the bright frost, oh, yeah. you know, the, all, I mean, all that stuff, it just seemed like, you know, very much uh, of that, you know, of that design aesthetic. And I really appreciated that a lot. I thought it really, you know, added to, you know, I'm, I'm watching and thinking, okay, this is a Thor movie because I really, you know, I'm seeing Asgard as I would, you know, I've seen it in a comic book. I want to live in Asgard. It looks so awesome. Mm-hmm. And I think Russ was saying Simonson has a cameo at one of the banquet tables or something. Yeah, the uh, I, the whole time, because I, I heard, I don't know where I was looking at an interview or something, but, but um, Walter and Louise were called on set to do a cameo. And they didn't say what it was. So the whole movie, you know, the JMS thing was, was obvious. The, the Stanley cameo was obvious. So I kept looking for the Simonsons and, and didn't see them. And I, I was looking for them in the Earth sections, not the Asgard sections, foolishly. And apparently at the end banquet, yeah. um, you could see Walt, but apparently Louise, you only see the back of her head. So you wouldn't even know it was really her. Mm. Um, but I, I, you know, just the fact that they brought them in to be a part of that, I thought was really awesome because, you know, as much, as much as we talk about Lee Kirby, as much as we talk about JMS, um, I, I don't think Thor would have been as popular in the eighties into the nineties and even into the two thousands if it wasn't for Walt Simonson. I mean, Simonson gave so, us, gave us, did he give us Beta Ray Bill? Yes. yes. And, and Frog yes. of Thunder, right? Yes. Frog of Thunder, yeah. I mean, he it's one of those legendary runs like Burn on Fantastic Four, you know, or where they're on the uh, creators on the book, you know, writing and drawing for so long, they really, you know, get a feel for it and really put their own persona in the book. But I noticed in the credits of Thor, they were like, very special thanks to, and it said Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, Larry Lieber, and then it said Walt, uh, Walt Louise Simonson, yep. and then uh, was it JMS and uh, Olivia Coapel? Uh, yep, yeah. Yeah, he goes on Simonson real quick. When he was at a Super Show last year uh, in Reading, uh, he, uh, he talked about 
uh, Thor quite a bit, of course. He talked about, you know, the hammer and Superman, and then, like, could Superman have picked up the hammer, referring to the JLA Avengers storyline. And, and, and just hear him talk about that, he, you know, obviously he was on him for years, but really understands Thor in a way that many others maybe don't. And it was actually a pleasure listening to him, so it, it, it's certainly fitting that he was honored to uh, be on set like that and be in the film. Yeah. They're just two awesome people. I mean, I've heard them interviewed on other podcasts, and then you know, being able to meet meet them personally and talk to them and shake hands and you know, take pictures and all that stuff. They're just they're just two awesome people. Just very gracious. Just you know, just really sweet. Did you guys see that giant Thor omnibus they just came out with with all the Simon Yeah, I'm I'm crying that I I couldn't pre-order it because it's like over a thousand pages. I think it's almost twelve hundred pages. And it's like 125 bucks. Now, is that the one yeah, I think is Dark Horse is printing? I'm sorry, what? Is it Dark Horse printing that? It's not Marvel, right? No. No, no IDW is doing IDW, more. Just IDW, IDW. Black and white yeah. pages. Just right. Black and white aren't. No, this is a, uh, an, a Marvel omnibus. Oh, okay. Edition, okay. Okay, good. Uh, with color, color pages of all the Simonson Run right. of Thor. It is huge. I saw it at the LCS last time I was there. They had, yeah, I think they it's the biggest. One. The biggest omnibus they've put out so that, far. That Spider-Man one big. was big. Brad, you have that Spider-Man one, uh, the first one, don't you? The Amazing Spider-Man omnibus? Yeah, you could kill a small child with that omnibus. That's yeah. how huge it is. Yeah, and if this floor one's bigger. It's bigger, yeah. Hey, can I interrupt real quick? Um, the reason I hesitated when you asked me that was because my mic was muted. Uh, you guys were talking about the omnibus. My girlfriend had just called, and she goes... Me and the boys, she has two kids, me and the boys are, um, we're sitting in the credits of Thor and we need to know if we need to stay until <laughs> the end and watch. And I said, yes, yes you need to stay because there is a scene at the end. Nice. Yeah. So do we want to talk about that scene now then? I would like to hear Jordan's opinion first. <laughs> yeah, we need, to, we need to get you in there, Jordan. Sorry, I've been looking up Hulk stuff. Um, oh, I found which, that. Well, I was going to hold to the end. I found what I need for that. Yeah, from what I see, they're considering it more of a reboot than a sequel, it's but it does pick off right where the first one yes, ends, yes which and, is weird. Yes, yes and no. It's, it, it was originally started as a sequel, but during the production, they wanted to make it a full-on reboot, and especially, and, and Zach Penn wrote it as, as to reboot it, and even with some sequel, but it was Norton when he came to do his rewrites that it became a full-on reboot in its own universe. Uh, oh, that's right. I remember the Norton rewrites now. Yeah, yeah that you yeah, mentioned so, that. So this is definitely a full-on, cut-off, reboot, new backstory, has nothing, zero, nada to do with that first piece of crap. Except that it starts right where the first one ends. That's <laughs> by coincidence. It's nothing to do with the plot that came before it. Right, right. Cool. Well, thank God. All right. Um, anyway. One ending in South America and the other one beginning in Mexico or South America, wherever he was, has nothing to do with each other. Moving on. I am not a big medieval fantasy guy. And granted, this is, of course, North mythology and not technically medieval. But it just, in general, the swords and capes riding around on horses fighting stuff doesn't do anything for me. But I really like this movie. I didn't love it, but I really, really enjoyed it. I think... This is the best Thor movie they could have made. Um, I think it's definitely, for me as a viewer, the best Thor movie I could possibly expect. I certainly enjoyed it. I don't know if I liked it more than the first Iron Man, probably more than the second, probably more than Hulk, or Incredible Hulk, although I enjoyed that one as well. But uh, the performances were fantastic. I thought they had just enough humor in the movie to make it really enjoyable. And um, even the 3D, the the converted 3D because this was shot in 2D and converted later um, I thought that they did a really good they job did. on that conversion. They absolutely did. 
So who, I guess, show of hands or, or eyes, <laughs> since, since obviously people can't see, um, who saw it in 3D? I did not see it in 3D. I, I did obviously not. did. I'm regretting seeing it in 3D because it was so damn expensive. The movie did did not need to be 3D at all. You know what, Brad? You're you're right. I say no movie needs to be in 3D. I did see it in 3D, and I thoroughly enjoyed it because by two minutes in, I forgot it was in 3D. It was so immersive and really brought me into it. I got news for you, Ken. You would have enjoyed it just as much had you seen it in 2D. I know I would have. And you would have saved five bucks. I know I would have. No, actually, I wouldn't have because I was going to see an IMAX. My choice are to see it on a big screen in IMAX, therefore in 3D, or to see it on a small screen 2D. And I was no way was I seeing Thor on a small screen. Wasn't going to happen. That's kind of the reason why I ended up seeing it in 3D also. I didn't need to see it in 3D, but it was the biggest screen, so I went there. As long as the 3D doesn't take me out of the movie, I don't care if it's 3D or 2D. Right, and the 3D that will take me out of the movie is the 3D where they deliberately throw in the shots and say, Hey, we're in 3D. Look at me. I throw my arrow right at you. You know, look at the hammers coming right at your face. If they had done that, I would have hated every second of it. And you mentioned, uh, I think, Russ, it was uh, post, or no, it was uh, Jordan. It was post uh, 3D, which, yes, it was. And one of the things that we've been hearing for a year and a half now since they've been really talking about 3D is if given enough time, post-conversion 3D can look just as good as you know, filmed in 3D, which I didn't believe for a second, having seen Alice in Wonderland and then refusing to see Clash of Titans, but what I heard on it, for example. Seeing this, though, made me believer that the technology is possible, can work, and yeah, it does add to the movie. I, I was really brought into this movie uh, because I, I mentioned in an email thread that with Alice in Wonderland, it was like looking through a Viewmaster. It was you know muddy. It was it was it was uh, too much going on. I couldn't really follow anything. Didn't have any of that with Thor. It, it just really it added enough depth to make me really feel like you know I was there and there was this physical space I was in. I wasn't just looking at a at a flat screen. Uh, but well, you're right, Brad. I, I would definitely enjoy it in 2D. I will probably find that out for sure later this week as I take my, both my kids to see it because both the seven-year-old and the four-year-old want to see it. And based on what I see, I have no problem taking them. Now, Ken, that brings up an interesting question about the time, though. We both agree that they did a really good job on this because of the time. Captain America comes out in just a few weeks in 3D. Do you think they had enough time for that one? Because that one just wrapped up shooting I – mean, not – you know, two days ago, but it was much more recent than Thor did. Are you at all worried about them having enough time for, for Captain America? No, uh, mainly because in addition to the 3D, I don't believe, I, I could be completely wrong, but I wouldn't expect as much CGI work on Captain America as there was obviously in Thor. I mean, all of Asgard is nothing but virtual backlots. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of that in Captain America as well, Um you know, but that said, I don't know. We'll find out. I'm, I'm going to see yeah. it. I'm going to. There's, there's three movies I'm going to definitely be seeing in 3D. You know, one in the store, and then Green Lantern and, and Cap. Everything else, we'll see what happens. I don't know what I'm going to so, see them in. So Jim and John, or uh, Jim and John, did you guys see it? 3D, 2D. I saw it in 2D. 3D really just it, it just doesn't do anything for me. I, I I know the difference between bad and good, but I'll never feel like I'm in the space of the movie. I mean, it just doesn't uh, it just doesn't appeal to me yet. Anyway, yeah, I'm kind of with you, John. I, I saw it in IMAX and 3D, but I really wanted to see it in IMAX more than I wanted to see it in 3D. Right. I could either take or leave the 3D. I mean, it it was you know it, it didn't take me out of the experience, so I guess I didn't mind it as much. Um, 
but yeah, I, I, I'll be interested to see uh, what you know what the 3D uh, course is with Cap and some of the other movies they have coming out this summer. So they they took one of the, the one things thing I wanted. Oh, I'm I'm sorry, Russ. No, go ahead, go ahead. I know you were saying Ken about like you know oh we're throwing things at you at the screen because they had a 3D trailer for the new Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, movie yeah, the sword before before um, Thor uh, where I saw it and it was the entire trailer was exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Like, oh, we're going to put our sword out of the screen at you, you know. Oh, we're going to have arrows coming at you. Here's a skeleton coming. You know, it's just like, okay, I get it. There was a shot like that in the Captain America trailer, too, when he threw the the shield right at the camera. Right. Yeah, I haven't gotten to see that yet. But I I have a feeling for that particular shot, that's the type of thing you would see even in a 2D version. And you You know what I mean? It's very common to see that. Yeah. And plus, that particular shot, that one goes directly into the logo, doesn't it? So that one might have been created yeah. specifically for the trailer. Yeah. Well, it looks like he, he's in a curved corridor, and he's throwing the shield, and it kind of hugs the corridor as it comes around. And, like, bounces around or something? In the trailer. No, no it looks like it just it doesn't even bounce. It, it finds the arc, like it, yeah. Yeah. It's, but, you know, anyway, that could be a, a trailer shot. You know, may not be in the movie. Who, who knows? Well, since we're talking about Cap, let's talk about the implications of that uh, as far as, like, the after credit scene. You know what I mean? Because uh, the, the, we get the reveal of the Cosmic Cube there. Oh, I, I, uh, I gasped when we, I saw that. I, I saw, I, you know what? I saw it in the fan, um, on midnight, you know, on midnight showing on Friday. And it was obviously a crowd of fanboys because, you know, it was – I'm just looking all around. And when they showed it, I literally heard guys say, whoa, you know? <laughs> It was the same thing when they showed up. They had the cameo with Hawkeye. I heard guys like a, a seats, uh, you know, around me like, "That's Hawkeye, Hawkeye, that's Hawkeye," <laughs> you know, explaining to everyone else that they're with, you know, who that was. But um, yeah, I guess the Cosmic Cube plays into the Cap movie, and now we see it surfacing with you know, Nick Fury. My only really que- real question about that after credit sequence is, who is the guy standing behind Nick Fury? Did anybody make him out? Because Nick Fury is talking about how he has some big brains working on, you know, um, the stuff. And I'm thinking, is it Henry Pym? Is it Stark? Well, I didn't even notice anybody back there. Supposedly, yeah, I didn't either. Banner, or they mentioned Gamma. They, ma- they mentioned the Gamma scientists, and from what I understand, yeah, that was during the Thor movie, though. This yeah. is in the credits. Well, from what I understand, that reference was supposed to have been. He was supposed to name and say it was Hank Pym, but I guess with all the other references they had thrown out already, they decided to cut the name out of it. But supposedly that was supposed to be Hank Pym. He, you know, a scientist who disappeared recently. Now it could have been Banner because he disappeared, but it also I took it as Banner. That's what I thought as I well. Did too. But when I, I just heard, a, I just heard a, uh, I haven't seen a source for this, but I've heard in the original script that it was meant to be Hank Pym. You know, goes mm-hmm. ansized and disappears. I don't know if, what the reference is there, but maybe it could be Hank Pym. Uh, it was him work with Gamma. I, I don't he know. With See, particles. He, he did. I know, but I well, know. in the comics. But you know, it could be different in the Marvel movie continuity. Right. right. Also, if you remember in the Incredible Hulk movie, there was that guy who uh, exposed himself to the. You remember he was trying to cure um, uh, Edward Norton's character. The guy with the giant head. Right. Sam, the Sam Stern's the leader. Right. Well, and two, I think in the Ultimate Universe, Pym was a part of the whole Super Soldier thing too like everybody was yeah everybody connected was, with super yeah. soldier so um so yeah it just depends I, I uh i'm sorry i think everything's tied together like the ultimate universe in terms of like gamma is the super soldier serum 
is you know what I mean? Yeah. Like everything's tied together. Uh-huh. Rather than so I, I wouldn't be surprised if they made Pim a uh yeah. a gamma scientist. I I have one question about the last scene. And um I asked Frank and, and Bill and, and Frank ended up having a different opinion than I did. And I'll tie this into a, a text I just got from my girlfriend. She uh she says um the bad brother, Loki, is in that guy's body, three exclamation points. So, you know, when we see that scene and, and we see Loki in, in the mirror, you know, alongside of uh, Stellan Skarsgård's character, uh, you know, he's a pirate's favorite actor, by the way. Arr, Arr. Right. Yes, thank you. Um, you know, he was, in the, he was in the mirror, so I thought, Okay, so does that mean he's just there? Nobody can see him, kind of yeah. like Thor. He was there with Thor. Nobody can see him, but Thor. Or is he actually in Skarsgård's nah, body? I took, I took it that he was there, was invisible, and couldn't be seen. And he was more whispering sweet nothings in his ear, giving him a suggestion. I'm with Ken on that one. That's what I thought. Frank and obviously my girlfriend take, took it to mean that he was in in uh, Skarsgård's body, but I don't I don't think that's actual correct. Because it would be one thing if you just had him in the mirror, but I'm pretty sure you had both of them in the mirror. Yeah, yeah you did. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. If you saw Loki's reflection, I'd be more on board with the he's possessing him. Yeah. Okay. I, I, and I I I think that's the way it was. I think you know I didn't have any idea what to expect with this. Um, with the credit after credit scene, and I had seen a link, somebody had recorded it, and I purposely avoided it. Um, and uh, again, I like Jim's idea about Coulson being a scroll. I think that would be awesome. But it got me thinking about what the end scene in the Captain America movie might be, and I have a a nice theory about what that could be, and we could talk about that later off the air if you want, or we can talk about it during the show. But sure, we'll talk, about it, or, I mean, talk about it now. That's yeah. why people listen to the podcast, right? Um, so, Speculate. you know, let's think about Iron Man. The first one was, um, you know, a Fury. Nick Fury showed up. Avengers Initiative, right? right? Yeah, and then in uh, The Incredible Hulk, Tony Stark showed up and said, hey, I'm putting a team together. Right. Uh, at the end of Iron Man 2, we saw the hammer, and Coulson says we found it. Right. This one was the Cosmic Cube. And so now I'm thinking, okay, at the end of and, – and Nick Fury, with the exception of Hulk, Nick Fury's been involved you know, with, with – um, actually, he wasn't – well, he, I was going to say he wasn't involved in Iron Man 2, but that's who Coulson was talking to on the phone. Right. So He's all over the place in Iron Man 2. He didn't yeah. know, but in the end credit scene, he wasn't directly directly in it. Correct, You're correct. Right. Yeah, sorry. Right, he was on. I can you can only assume that he was. Yeah. That's who Coulson was talking to. But I started thinking, okay, and Cap. And my understanding is that the Cap movie will will take place mostly, if not entirely, uh, in World War II era. It's bookended when, by modern day, from what I understand. Exactly. Say again. It's going to be bookended by modern day. So we'll have modern day, okay. World War II, modern day. That's okay. Well, if my it's if it's bookended that way, then that might uh, take away from the the possibility of my theory. But my theory was that what if at the end credit scene we see a young, younger Nick Fury? Because you know, in the comics, we know Nick Fury's been around a long time. He doesn't age the same way everybody else does. But wouldn't it be cool if we saw a younger Nick Fury who maybe was like a junior agent in Shield? He had two eyes, like maybe he hadn't you know gone through whatever he had gone through to lose the one eye. I just thought it would be cool to see a, 
a, a younger looking uh, Nick Fury with two eyes, and that's how. And and I tied it in with in the first no, it was in Iron Man two when when um, Coulson saw the the Iron Man shield and he picks it up and he look, holds it to Stark and he goes, "What is this doing here?" Obviously, yeah. Coulson knew what that was. Right. So I was thinking, well, what if that's when Nick Fury and Shield became aware of Captain America was was that far back, and that's why Coulson knew what it was. Right. Then. I just well, think that would a really cool way to tie that all, all that well, in. Well, plus we know that Fury worked with Howard Stark, and we know that Howard Stark was there when Captain America was created. Right. Right, right. So I, I mean, I think I hope you're right, Brad. I hope we do see a young Nick Fury, but I hope it's not in the in the teaser. I, I hope it's my understanding. At some point or my in the actual movie. My yeah, my tradition is that young Nick Fury will be in the in the movie as part of the part of the cast. That's that's what I expected at least. I may be wrong in that expectation, or at least a cameo in one or two scenes. Yeah, you know, I'm gonna look. They up. gotta have Howling Commandos with Nick Fury and <laughs> well, James Howard. James Howard. I'm just I'm just gonna say that. <laughs> Dum Dum, we know Dum Dum's in it. Yeah, I'd, I'd be very, very surprised if they made a reference to James Howlett because you know the whole Wolverine is that a different. Um, right, right. Legally, yeah, I mean, they, if they were to they, do it, they'd have to do it very vaguely. I was going to say they could do it slyly or vaguely just, enough. They could, they could just call it James. It. Although just call him Jimmy, you know, just have a character named Jimmy. Who kind of looks like him with yeah. a cigar. I'm going to look up uh, the movie on IMDb and see if you know there's what? any. <laughs> I'm doing Mention. that. I'm doing that now, and I'm regretting I did because by some of these, uh, not they're not so much names, but there's things that are giving me information. I don't know if I want. <laughs> so you may not may want to hold off on that. Ooh, I see what well, you're. I see something there. Holy cow! There's a couple of things here I wish I hadn't have seen. Yeah, Red yeah, exactly. Skull was in this movie. <laughs> One of the things that I haven't, I've heard conflicting information about as far as Nick Fury, as to whether or not he has like the Infinity formula or infinity serum in him and he ages slow i heard one thing that he he's not he doesn't age slow but he just worked with howard before he died and i've heard another that says no they're going to make it you know to where he you know he 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 they did do something to him and he is aging slow and he was you know a young man you right. know, back in the World War II days. What is continuity in the Ultimate Universe? I know this isn't exactly that, but... Nick Fury was one of the first sub- subjects of the Super Soldier Serum okay. in, in the Ultimate Universe. Hey, and he, uh, went, he went off the reservation, quote-unquote, after his uh, treatment, and then he came back to the fold, I think, in the 50s in uh, Ultimate Origins. It does It does show Sam Jackson in, in uh, Captain America as Nick Fury. It says, Oh, yeah, he'll definitely be there. says uncredited, but uh, yeah. it, it, he, he is in there. For, that's, they, uh, they filmed that scene about a month ago, actually, because I remember seeing news stories about it because they filmed it right in New yeah, York I City. Yeah, I saw those stills. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. right, of course. And, that, and then they, that I looks- saw similar stills from Avengers. Like It seems like they're going to be doing another part of that same scene for Avengers. That might be yep. your end yep. credit, actually, that's going to bridge the Cap to the Avengers. You yeah, know what would be an awesome end credit scene for Cap? I know we're getting a little off the off the beaten path from Thor, but to me, I wish they would just show like him stuck in the ice, and you'd turn around, and you'd see Iron Man, Thor, uh, Hawkeye, and the Hulk just standing there, and, and Fury, and just, just standing there looking at him, <laughs> and of course, one of them says something smart assy but 
but I just think that would be kind of cool. Well, it Smash. seems to me, isn't that going to be like the beginning of the movie? Whether or not it's those it characters, be. isn't it going to be yeah. people pulling him out of the ice? Maybe. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how the bookend's going to work. Yeah, but, uh, I can't see it being Thor only because with the way Thor ended, him being stuck, I think a part of the Avengers yeah, is going right. to be bringing Thor back. So, and, yeah. and what about the cube itself? I mean, they're. I'm assuming they're going to introduce it in Captain America. Yeah, that's what I would they expect. Are. Yeah. So for it to make it to modern day Nick Fury's hands, it, it would have to end the Cap movie in Shield's hands. That's that's you know beyond the that. The box I wanna... it's in in Thor has a swastika on it. I didn't oh, even oh, see I didn't that. Catch that. I didn't catch it either. But yeah, I've I read other not Nazis in the movie. I thought they're Hydra. No, they are specifically referred they are to. Nazis. Them, right? They are Nazis. They are Nazis. They're like us. They're I guess the shield of the Nazis. Right. Ooh, I like that. My, um, I had a, a question really quick. In that, like, uh, in Thor, they had that like uh, containment room where the cask of ancient winters was, the armory, and all that. And they show like the different relics as they walk by. Is it true that they show the Infinity Gauntlet? That's what I heard. I, I, I don't remember seeing it though. I definitely I, saw the eye. I'm telling you. I, you know <laughs> oh, what? Yeah, no. yeah. Um, the from the Fellowship of the Ring, that was definitely there. Sauron. <laughs> it's called the Warlock's Eye. It was either the Eye of Agamotto, or it looked to me, I got a good look at it, and it looked to me like the eye followed you as the camera walked by. Oh, that's cool. It looked like that, John, so, the link I just posted. Because that's the Warlock's Eye from Thor, from the Thor comics. Let me see. It's great that you can let, you know, we can that show was it. Yes, that oh was it. God. That's exactly I what it was. Guys. Did that follow as as the camera went by? Yes, it I did. Don't. I noticed it. I definitely <laughs> noticed it following. Yeah, that's the one then. Okay, so it wasn't the eye of Agamotto. It was the eye of Jordan's references. <laughs> the <world. laughs> And apparently the Infinity Gauntlet's in there too. I didn't see it, but I've read... Marvel said it would be in there from like yeah, months right. and months and months ago. All right, well, so, I mean, I, so Jordan's I, one for one and one with his references tonight. I definitely <laughs> uh, looked because I just had a feeling. Well, this is going to be a place. If if they're going in here and this is like an artifacts room, I'm definitely going to want to pay attention to the stuff in here. I didn't see anything that was vaguely shaped like a hand or a glove or anything like that, but that doesn't mean it wasn't there. Because you just, remember at Comic Con last year, they it showed up with the Thor stuff and they said it would be in there, which is it's weird that it wasn't. If it wasn't, which I I, I agree, I did not see it. And one That's, of the one of the spots looked empty. I thought like something was missing. Well, the cube was supposed to be in there. That's, that's, where the cube, that's well. probably where the cube would have been if it wasn't in Shield's hands. Oh, okay. I, that's one of those when the Blu-ray comes out, it'll be awesome to just pause. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'll be know, looking pause, for this pause, stuff pause, more pause. when I see it again next weekend. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. I, uh, yeah, I mean, we've seen the Cosmic Cube in the Thor, if you've paid attention, in the either Thor stills or Thor trailer where... Um, where the Red Skull is holding it up and cap looking trailer? at it. The Cap trailer, thank you. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely, yeah. It's, it definitely, you know, is, is included in that. Yeah, one thing about this oh. end credit scene, what's surprising me is how many things I'm reading where, you know, so-called fanboys are saying things like, that's it? Like, they were not impressed by the end scene. I was like, you've got to be kidding that, me. That is well, the be- To me, that was the best end credit scene of all of yeah. all of them, and they all were good. They all teased what was coming next, and yeah. this had well, this had a lot of different things in it. There, 
there was actual substance to it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the Thor one was cool just because well, you, you knew, know it, you knew it, it was coming. Foreshadowed, yeah, it directly foreshadowed another movie. The, the Iron Man one was really, really cool because it confirmed the fact that yes, Ultimate Nick Fury, played by Samuel L. Yep. Jackson, is going to exist in this universe. But the scene itself was just so quick, um, and it and it didn't really say much of anything at all. Um, and the same thing for the Thor. I mean, you barely get a glimpse at the hammer. This one actually was a but yeah. I mean, we, like you know, uh, there was some meat to it. We've we're, we've confirmed think- Loki's still alive. We've seen the cosmic cube. Loki's influencing what's going on, and it just was had ramifications that could be infinite. <laughs> pardon me. I think an argument could be made that more more people in the non comic book buying and reading public know what Thor's hammer is more than what the Cosmic Cube is. And I even heard somebody in the audience go, well, what the hell is that? You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, a friend who I went with had no idea what it was. He walked out, we walked out, and he goes, so what was the box thing? Yeah, nobody, I never heard anybody go, what is that, when they saw Thor's hammer? I heard people go, holy crap, that's Thor's hammer. Maybe, maybe, granted, maybe they were like us, geeks like us, but... The point is, I actually heard somebody go, "What the hell is that?" Well, I mean, the, big, the bigger deal for the for the non fans, for lack of a better phrase, is the fact that Loki's still alive and he's kind of calling the shots. You know, just like right. your girlfriend point, you know, pointed that out. There's something yeah. for both. There's something for both for both sides with that. The cosmic cube was definitely for us. I will admit to being a little disappointed with this end credit. I kind of, my wow. first thought was, "Really, is that it?" I expected, I expected something. To tie in with Captain America, I just ex- well that this does. But you did, yeah, I know. I know. That's what I'm saying. I expected it. I got that, but I wanted to be hit upside the head with something. And uh, I think this kind of this kind of sets the table for Avengers, though. I mean, it does both. You've got yeah. Loki as the villain. You've got the uh, him going after the Cosmic Cube, and you know the Iron Man and uh, and you know the Hulk and and. Uh, you know, and Thor, you know, coming and Cap coming together to stop him. I mean, it, it sets everything into motion. I think the fact that they went out of the way to say Thor will be back in the Avengers. <laughs> Somebody year. in my theater yelled, "Spoilers!" Yeah, <laughs> I, I, kind of, I feel like that kind of kind of ruined the end for me. I, I ruined that end scene. Yeah, I kind of. I mean, I know obviously because you know. I'm a geek and I read comics and I, I follow movies. So I knew that there was an Avengers movie coming up. But I wanted something in the story to tell me, hey, there's more coming. And that's what the end credit scene does. And, and that's what it did. But I didn't need to see in print, hey, Thor will be back in the Avengers. <laughs> well, duh, I kind of knew that. And, and for some reason, it's hard to explain and I can't put it quite into words, but it, it kind of – Dumbed down the the cre- end credit scene for me, and See, was I surprised that Loki was still alive? No, that's the oldest cliche in the book. Oh yeah, the bad guy's still alive. No body, no death. Yeah. To me, when I saw the you know Thor will be back in the Avengers, it reminded me of both James Bond post credits yeah. and Superman post credits. That's what I was gonna say. It was always like you know, James Bond will be back in Moonraker. You know. Yep. Machete yep. will return in. Is John, is John still awake? <laughs> Buckle Bonsai will return in. <laughs> no, he won't. Never. I just Never. sent you guys a, uh, a link to an Entertainment Weekly article that is titled Thor Post Credit Scene. What the heck was that thing? Oh, God. Yeah. That's funny. 
So it, one of the things I thought was interesting as far as the pacing of the movie goes, and I think this may have been important for the average fan, is that it started out not on Asgard and not with you know that portion of Thor, but we just get this brief you know thing where we get Natalie Portman and Stellan Skarsgård and Kat Dennings. And they're driving along, and you know there's a big storm, and and then you know of course right when they hit Thor with the with the truck, then we we then we cut to to Asgard, and we get you know go back all the way to the you know 900 AD, and and then we get you know Thor as a child, and Loki as a child, and then um, you know we go that route before we come back, and I thought that was interesting the way Brana decided to piece that together. Um, I guess to to not just start with the fantastical right off the bat. Well, I thought it was kind of weird that um, you know after you know Lee and Kirby creating Thor back in the '60s, we're trying to ape you know the sound of Shakespearean um, you know speech with their doths and their verilies and all that other stuff. That Kenneth Branagh, a Shakespearean actor and director took a very Shakespearean approach to the story of Thor in a thematic way rather than having to use all those doths and, and vows you know, that I think would have thrown off the audience. I mean, it's Thank very God. much... Yeah, it, it's very much in the, in the line of the, you know, the way you tell a story like King Lear or whatever. You show them as children. You show them you know, vying for the attention of their father and you know, the proudest day and all these other things. And uh, it was just... I mean, Kenneth, Kenneth Branagh really, I thought, brought that kind of gravitas to the whole, whole affair. Two, two things. First off, had they gone, had Brian gone with the these and thous, it would have gone, I think, directly against the idea of trying to, to, to blend Thor into this universe that's being built, which I already stated, they, he did a fantastic job of making sure it did fit. But second, right. as talking about the, about the young boys, could they have found a better kid to play young Loki? <laughs> yeah, no, that's pretty spot on. I saw that. I'm like, that looks just like him. Is that his brother or something? Hey, uh, since we're talking about the kids, earlier during the movie, my girlfriend sent a text. She says, I just missed something. Troy was talking. That's her older son. The king picked the blonde kid as king. Wasn't the older kid the old – wasn't the other kid the older one though? And I said – I responded to her. I said, I don't think they ever said which one of those two was older. If they did, I missed it, but – No. No. I think they... I think she was – she was worried that she missed the reason why the king picked the younger son to end up being the king, and uh, and like I said, I, I I don't think they ever really did. I don't think they ever discussed ages at all. Yeah, yeah. I think they're. Always, I, I I always assumed that they were not not obviously they're not twins, but they were close enough to the same age that it was. Well, I guess when you're thousands of years old, you're close enough to the same age no matter how old you are. Yeah. Even if they did make Loki older at some point, if they mentioned that, you know, you find out later why he wasn't picked. Well, yeah. Right. Yeah, I was going to say, if you pay attention to the story, you realize why. You know, I had read the, the current, you know, JMS run, and and I don't know if in the past, and Jim, you can help me with this, whether or not Loki had always been related to the Frost Giants. Yeah. 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 Has he, John? Yeah. Or, or, as far as I know, he has, yeah. Okay, well, uh, until I read Straczynski's round, I did. I wasn't aware of that. And when it happened in the movie, I had forgotten, and I was still surprised that that he was related. And I was just thankful that I had forgotten because that really 
that worked for me as a as a moviegoer. I was actually well, getting concerned that they didn't go that route, which I couldn't imagine them not doing it. But then when they did the reveal, it was as much a shock not a shock. I was I was as surprised in how it was revealed as much as Loki himself was apparently. Well, how good was Tom Hiddleston in that scene? I thought he sold it uh, tremendously well. Well, he obviously had the best performance in the entire movie. Yes. I could agree with that, yeah. He was... Yeah. I'd never heard of this and guy. That's, that's saying something, because it's a really strong cast. Oh, definitely. Oh, it, it is. I, you think, know, I, think, I agree with what John was saying before. I think this is really, like, incredibly well-cast movie. These, these characters have, like, really come to life in a I, lot of instances. I said this to Frank and Bill. I think if there was any miscasting at all, it was Rene Russo as the queen because she really didn't have enough to do a name actress like her. I like Rene Russo as much as the last guy ever since Lethal Weapon movies, but they could have had a, a Jane Doe play the queen and it would have worked just as well. Thomas Crown Affair. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. But I, I would also agree that the even Chris Hemsworth, the whole thing, Ray Stevenson as Volstag, holy crap, I don't know that you could have done better. He was perfect. He wasn't see he wasn't I, as voluminous as you might have wanted him to be. Yeah. But but he was he had the same humor, the same attitude, the same uh yeah. mannerisms without being as large as Yeah, as the, the characterization of Volstag was dead on, if if not his actual stature. Which which was I, fine. He sold it for me, despite the fact that he probably wasn't as big as he could have been. Yeah, I. To me, that was a weak spot for me. Was well, Stevenson's Volstag? That's really? just me personally. Because of yeah. his size. That was part of it. Part of it was the whole beard and mustache thing. I don't know why, but that. But the makeup, the the makeup or the the costume effects or whatever, it just wasn't. I don't know what it. He just looked off to me. Like everybody else looked spot on, but for some reason he just looked off. I, I don't. I don't know what it what it was. I mean, I think, I think he acted the part. I think the the, the part was scripted well. I think, um, you know, again his mannerisms and and the way he spoke and his kind of aloof manner was all there. But I just think visually there was something off with with that portrayal. You know what's funny is this morning I was watching Beverly Hills Ninja with uh, Chris Farley, and I'm picturing now somebody as large and in, as voluminous as Chris Farley playing the large, voluminous uh, Volstag, and I think it would have come off as ridiculous. Well, la da uh, now what? you've got Odin's kicking him out, and you got Thor living in a van down yeah. by the river. I think what just about, the fact what about, that what about Brian Blessed? I don't know who that is. I still would. Uh, yeah, a Flash Gordon. Thirty uh, years ago, uh, yeah, it'd been perfect. I, I st- he was he was um, the fans' uh, choice for Odin for the longest time before Hopkins was cast. I can't yeah. comment on the Flash Gordon because I'd I'd get yelled at. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a good call. I uh, well, let's it, the, uh, since we're talking about casting. I guess there were two issues that I had with casting. One, as I thought, and, and maybe casting's wrong, the wrong word, um, but but the way Ray Stevenson's portrayal or visually portrayed um, Volstagg, and the other, I don't know why, but Hopkins as Odin really didn't completely sell it for me. Oh, and dude, I I couldn't have pictured anybody for, else being him. It, part of it was I don't know what it was about his speech pattern and the way sounded he, too much like Jarrell. 
it, it, well, you know what I caught? He, I saw you saw the warrior. At least I saw the warrior in him during the the initial battle with the frost giants when they showed the the ending of that battle. What I saw of Odin leading up to, uh, in the in the the present day scenes, if you will, was an old man who's ready to enter the Odin slave. I mean, he's 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 clearly aged. He's clearly you know, ready to enter the Odin sleep, and it came upon him suddenly. And that's kind of, I see how he played it. I can still see the power behind the eyes, uh, especially during when he cast Thor out, the, when he let his, his, his anger fuel him. But he was desperately trying to rule with wisdom and not with, the, with, with, with might. And he wanted to teach his, his uh, children that lesson. If, if there was any one scene or one line that stumbled for me, was when he he whispered the uh, the oath of the command to the hammer as he as he disposed of it. It's almost as if he just did it too quick for me. Like there wasn't the right cadence that it should have felt like it should have had. You know the scene early on where they um, he's telling. I guess it's right in the beginning. He's telling the story to the young Thor and Loki. Right. Um, you know, he's kind of walking them through the hall and explaining, uh, you know, about how a good king should be or, or something to that effect. Uh, did it, did they make him look younger in that scene? Yes. Uh, it, it seems like he didn't have quite so much gray. Maybe his hair and his beard were a little longer. Right. Um, but yeah, he did look a little younger. His eye patch was there. different too. Yeah. Okay. Cause, hey, who- Cause when I saw him again as an old man, it didn't. In current day, I guess, it didn't seem different enough to me. Like, I was trying to figure out if they were saying, like, you know, the All-Father really doesn't age the same way as everyone, or I'm probably just looking into it too much. But I didn't catch the real difference from young Odin to current Odin. Hey, was it Ken or Russ who said they're going to go see it again this week? I probably. I am. Um, uh, this is just me thinking now because you guys are talking about that flashback to the fight with the the Frost Giants, the original one back in like 980. Right. I would keep my eyes peeled, see if Odin is wearing the Infinity Gauntlet Ooh, in that battle. Good call. Because that's the only other place I could think that it could possibly be in the movie. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So one of the one of the th- I thought was brilliant casting, and I thought he did an awesome job. Was in for whatever reason, and I think. Anybody making this argument was a complete and utter moron. But Idris Elba as Heimdall, I thought was awesome. Oh, dude, I want Heimdall on my team when I'm walking down a, an alley or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, I know there was. It's funny they they talk about controversy over the fact that Heimdall, um, you know, Idris Elba being black and, and portraying Heimdall, who in the comics was not. I Personally, I never read anything where anybody explicitly had issue with it. I only read that people said that there was a lot of there was negativity towards it or whatever. But I just thought it was awesome. I mean, the voice was incredible, um, and just his you, physical presence. I, I just you was blown the away. character, dude. I yeah. mean, you know, blown away. Black, white, purple, or yellow, yeah, I mean, I whatever color he is, he really got the essence of Heimdall the character. I mean, absolutely. You know, I think the only thing that as far as casting and, and characters that bothered me was the um, the Asian guy as one of the the Warriors Three Hogan. Okay, whatever yeah. his name is, yeah, I thought really they have Asians in in the uh, Asgard. 
He didn't really do much for me, period. I mean, of the, of the Warriors 3, it was, well, the, the, they were all supporting characters. And I, I even would put this Jane Foster in there as well. Like, none of them really did any one thing that make them stood out. You know, it was, it was uh, as far as their, their performances or their, their place in the movie. In the JMS run, I think he is kind of drawn as, like, maybe like a Mongolian does that sound right, Jim? Like, you know, he's always got, like, the furry hat and, and stuff. Yeah, that yeah. See. Right. Hogan the Grim, I think, was originally based on Attila the Hun. I think you're right, guys. Yeah. That, that, that's I mean, ringing a bell for me. Yeah, and he has, yeah. like, the long mustache, you know, like that kind of yep. con-looking. Yep. Yeah, that's why it didn't, it didn't bother me in the movie at all. It just no. kind of fit, yeah. you know. All right, I can that totally. Hogan sounds like Shogun. I could totally buy that, and, uh. Once again, there's nothing about the movie that bothers me. We got Xena, you know, Jackie Chan, and Robin Hood coming down. Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> I, he, I mean, Jackie. I don't know the guy's name. I don't even know the character's name, but he was channeling Errol Flynn there as the... Josh Dallas. Oh, that Fandral. That Fandral. Yeah. Fandral the Dash. That he didn't Fandral. have a lot to do, but what he did, I thought it, I thought it was great. He was, he was for me, was right out of the JMS books. Koy, he, yeah. was right of, he was right out of a Koypel uh, drawing. You want to hear something funny? Always. Is, is originally... Um, uh, Stuart Townsend was cast as jo- as uh, as Fandral, who also was cast as um, in in the Lord of the Rings. He was cast as uh, Legolas. Le- no, 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 no. Uh, Aragorn. Yeah, thank you, Aragorn's part. And at the last minute, because of quote creative differences in both in both uh, movies, he had to he was fired. Like right before filming started, so they brought Josh Dallas in after um, Stuart Townsend had pretty much um, taken the part, and and they were about ready to start filming. And nice. I I thought he did awesome. So I was wondering where um, the only the only thing I was uh, uh, missing really uh, where was Balder? He was Balder the yeah, Brave. He you know, he's like a major player in the Thor universe in the comics. I mean. I'm, I'm, you know, he was, he was, I, I think they were just trying to avoid turning into Iron Man 2 by throwing in – I mean they already had a lot of characters to cover. Yeah. And, you know, they throw in anything more, you're, you're, you're stretching it. And which is the one that the, – the, the Asgardian that runs really fast, the messenger, what's his name? Uh, Wally? No, I can't, I can't think of which Asgardian is it that, that he's like the speedster of, of Asgard. Yeah, I don't know. Um, my my girlfriend's arguing with me on text messages about Loki being in that guy's body or not. <laughs> it, I don't think it really matters either no, way. No, it doesn't. She says, no, he was in that guy's body because he said something and then the guy said the same thing. And I responded with you know what we said about the mirror and the reflection and yep. all that. She has yet to respond back. He, he said nah. as, a, as a suggestion, he planted a suggestion in the guy's head and he then repeated right. the suggestion. So I know a lot of people from the trailer were complaining about Kat Dennings as um, Darcy. I, however, thought she was pretty well used in the film. Yeah. I mean, especially lines like, what's Meow Meow? You know, the theater at least responded really, really well to her character. Well, she was only there for comic relief, obviously. Yeah, yeah but it, I, I didn't think it was bad comic relief. I it thought wasn't. it was well no. needed. And, it was, and, and, and her lines, she she delivered them so well. Like, I really... It, it flowed to me like a like a very natural conversation, as good acting should. Not not that it was uh, forced or read from a script. I, I really you know thought that she was really you know just, just there like his whole uh, what was the scene in the first song? 
just her reaction when she tased him. Oh yeah. You know, what? Just, he was freaking me out. Yeah, but it was it was completely legal that that all just happened. She was still hopped up on adrenaline or whatever. So. Was it me or did she seem to like totally fall off the face of the movie in the last half? Like, did she just? It seemed to me she just like disappeared. <laughs> well, she was there with uh, Jane and everybody, kind of standing there watching the fight with the destroyer. Yeah, yeah. It just seemed funny because she was so vocal in the first half, and then it seemed like in the second half she was just kind of there but not there. If, I don't if, know. if I things, just it was funny. If I have a, if I have a problem with the movie, if I have to find something, it is going to be that. Once he got the hammer back, once he was Thor again, things moved really quick, like a little too yeah. quick almost. Yeah. Um, like I think the 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 big thing is uh, Coulson uh, accepted his uh, his terms way too quickly. But at the same time, well, like what are you going to do? You know, Frank and Bill and I were talking about that. I mentioned that it seemed like Coulson had changed his tune that soon, but or that quickly. But you know, if you think about it, Coulson's seen some crazy stuff. And so why wouldn't he immediately know, yeah. you know, accept what he's seen, and then realize that he's outclassed, and power-wise, you know, yeah. and just just you know why make something out of nothing when you you're not going to be able to do anything about it? So you know what? Fine, you know, look, I'm glad we're on the same team. Just yeah, I I agree, but I I think Colson's smart enough to realize what's what, right. A character who's acting, or an actor's acting, we've kind of overlooked strangely, I think, um, and also going back to the humor, I was really surprised and happy with how lighthearted, for the most part, uh, Chris Hemsworth played Thor. I thought the kind of, not exactly frat boy attitude, but the kind of, you know, the, the lighthearted jokester, um, especially in the scenes with Jane, I thought that worked really, really well. Yeah, I loved at the beginning of the movie when he's coming back from battle and Odin is basically going to name him his successor. And he's got that huge smile on his face and he's wearing the, the, uh, the, the helmet. helmet and he's, you almost can see him like he's, you know, blowing kisses at the crowd and, you know, he's waving his wing. hands. Yeah. You know, just that whole, I'm the, you know, yes, thank you. I'm great. I know it. Awesome. You know, he wins you over right in that first scene. Yeah, and I was just like, okay, that that's the perfect setup. This is the arrogant Thor right. that's going to get knocked down a peg. And it kind of threw me off because I'm so used to seeing not not brooding Thor, but a very serious, thoughtful Thor almost who who has lived. And then I realized, well, no, that's not who this is yet. He's not there yet. Right. And it's not until he fails at picking up the hammer that he actually gets a little bit humbled or a lot humbled and is kind of starts to think it through and also kind of realizes through the course of the next several events, what his father's trying to teach him. And it isn't until, of course, as he faces on the destroyer with nothing but his, but him, um, earns, earns the, he proves himself worthy of the hammer. Yeah. I'll jump in here and repeat something that, that Frank and, and Bill and I were talking about. Frank had said that he didn't quite buy the transformation from arrogant Thor to sweet Thor as quickly as it happened. Uh, especially with him, uh, you know, not being able to lift up the hammer, you know, he just knew that when when the hammer dropped and he he went to get it, he just knew without a doubt he's going to be able to just reach over, pick it up, boom. Well, I and Frank didn't buy the fact that, you know, after he failed, that he still wasn't arrogant and whatnot. And I said, you know, it in life as humans, we get two by fours upside the head when we least expect it. You know, we get wake up calls that say, "Listen, dude, this is the way life is." You need this is something you need to take care of. 
this is a life changing decision or some, you know, something to that effect. And, and Thor's two by four to the head was when he tried to pick that hammer up. Right. And he, he could, he couldn't move it. So, and then right after Loki tells him that his father is dead and he can't come home and all these other things. And that is just like another kick in the, in the junk, you know? Yeah. I think, you know, those two things combined, it really are going to knock this knock the wind out of your sails. Yeah, I would say that's not even the moment where it, where it happened. It wasn't until he lived through the next you know day or so, however long it's been, you know, spending time with Natalie Portman, you know, discussing the na- the true nature of the cosmos as he understands it with her, finding out the truth about Loki, and then finally uh, facing down the Destroyer as himself by himself as a man, not because he's Thor the Mighty and can beat him, but because he has to if that's what he feels he must do to defend Earth. He, he, he knew he was going out there to die, but he did it so he could save Midgard. Not so he could and, get under the hammer, but it was, that was the, also the same act that, kind of, that, that fulfilled his father's wishes of you know, proving himself worthy and brought him the hammer back. And, and to some degree, I mean, in all honesty, a lot of that is casualty of the fact that it's only a two-hour movie and not a three-hour movie. True. I mean, you know, it, as, would it have been if there were 20 more minutes of him being humbled and figuring out how to exist in this world thinking that he's been orphaned um yeah you know you maybe it would have it wouldn't have seemed as much but but then again it's 20 minutes of you know probably ill-paced movie um so uh, yeah I'm, i i mean in the in the big scheme of things i'm i'm fine with that one of the, one of the things that i really even when i saw the the original stills of it, I think back around Comic-Con time or so, and it looked okay, but it still had a little bit of hokiness to it, was the Destroyer. And after seeing the Destroyer on screen, incredible. They completely nailed it. It totally worked. It didn't look cheesy. It was awesome. Bill McGonald described it as literally scary it was a scary thing. It, it said he it physically had a toll on him when that thing howled and shrieked and whatnot. He said he could literally feel his pulse raising and felt an honest fear in him when that thing did what it did. And it was one of the creepiest, scariest things I've ever seen in a comic book movie. I love the part where the shield guys uh, find it in the desert. <laughs> Is that one of Stark's? <laughs> I don't know. That guy never tells me anything. <laughs> All right, here we go. And then he says, "You're you're using unweapons reg- uh, unregistered <laughs> weapons technology." That made me laugh. Yep. Yeah. My only complaint about the destroyer isn't about the destroyer itself because, like, I agree with everybody else. It was incredible. The part where it like inverted itself was really neat. But we know what it is because we're nerds and we like comic books and we're familiar with Thor, at least passingly, some of us more than others. If I was just in the theater, I don't think I have any idea what that thing is. Well, they, did, Why they, is they it named it. Fighting? Well, well they, they named, named it, it the Destroyer, but what the heck does that mean? It will, well, they showed it at the beginning, yeah. remember? I, I thought when, they set it up well that it exists. I yeah. don't think they – I think well, they, they, explain, they set up the, the what but not the – why it's a protect? Yeah. It's a protector of the armory. If nothing else, right. you know, it's a, it's a protector of the armory, and apparently, it will follow the commands of the king of the king of Asgard. In this case, it was Loki. You know, right, and I don't think and as far as the movie goes, that's that was established, and that's all. That's the only purpose for that for that thing for the destroyer. Yeah, maybe it was a little something more in the comics, but as far as this movie goes, it's a neat visual element, and it. I think it was utilized it's a, well it's a bonus to our people yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, yeah. Exactly. I, I, 
I can be down with that. That's not a problem. I just thought it was weird that they didn't even say it's armor or it's uh, you know anything. Yeah, yeah. You know, we. I was going to say, we've uh, a couple times have uh, mentioned, uh, Brad, you've mentioned what Frank and Bill have seen. I actually do have uh, like a three-minute clip that Frank uh, sent into us. You want to play that? We can discuss that. Yeah, let's hear that. Hey, dudes, this is Frank A. Rincon from A Half Hour Wasted with my thoughts on the movie Thor. So many positive things have been said about this movie that it seems that people are having to uh, struggle to find things wrong with it uh there's been a lot of nitpicking with it and um i guess that's a good thing the acting was good the casting was was spot on uh weakest character i think probably the natalie portman the jane foster character um mostly because while she was his anchor on earth she just really didn't seem to do much other than to be a damsel in distress um also uh the um the period of time between uh, arrogant Thor and humble Thor seemed to really move really quickly. It seemed to have happened just, uh, you know, once he couldn't lift a hammer up, boom, he became humble Thor. Um, I thought they, you know, maybe could have spent a little more time humanizing him a little bit, but then again, we're talking about nitpicks here. So um, overall, I just, I found the movie really entertaining Thought the uh, thought the effects were good. Thought the characters were really good. Um, the gentleman who played Loki, uh, Tom Hiddleston, I believe, hit it out of his park. I'm sitting in front of my computer right now, and I'm going to bring up his IMDb. Um, let's see what other movies he's been in. Uh, let's see, Midnight in Paris, uh, Wall, Canford. Miss, no, looks like he hasn't really been in much. Amarillo, a TV series, Conspiracy, a TV series. Um, anyway, he, I thought he hit it out of the park. Um, for being such a meek character at the beginning, uh, he managed to make that meekness work for him. And towards the end, you really did feel like he was the god of mischief. Um, I did look up who the writer was, which was an Ashley Miller and I was looking at some of her writing credits. Um, she's written various episodes of the TV show Fringe, of Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles, and of Andromeda. If anyone remembers that TV series, which was uh, which was one of those shows that I uh, that I loved specifically the writing because they did they seemed to do they talked really fast in it. And there was a lot of double talk in it, and the plot always just seemed to be kind of all over the place, but yet still kind of focused. I'm, I'm glad Thor wasn't done that way, but um, it looks like she has some writing chops uh, with her t- uh, under her belt. Um, she did a really good on just movie, too. Um, um, God, just so many things uh, went really well with this movie. Um, the one thing I'm curious about is the, uh, is the character Eric Selvig. He was the colleague with... Um, Natalie Portman in the van. Uh, he's also the one that appeared in the final scene after the credits. Um, based on what I've kind of seen uh, on the web, rumor has it, and this is just rumor, that he's going to be one of the bad guys in uh, the Avengers movie, but um, but that's strictly rumor. Um, I couldn't find anything in Marvel history, so I don't know if he is a recurring character or if he was just created for the movie itself. But... Um, 
I have to say that final scene, while it didn't blow my socks off, I think in retrospect, after we watched the Captain America movie, that scene may hold more weight. Um, overall, I give it four out of five reverse flashes. I thought it was great. Um, you know, can't wait to hear your thoughts on it. Um, thanks for listening to my ramblings, and see you next time. Bye. One thing I feel compelled to say is that um, he, Ashley Edward Miller, wrote the screenplay for Thor. Frank has There's actually several credited writers. Ashley Miller, Zach Stentz, Don Payne. Um, there's quite a few people. I need to point out that on Half Hour Wasted, we, we rate things uh, with reverse flashes, and that's what, uh, that's what uh, Frank was, was referring to there. I gave it, uh, in our show, I gave it four reverse flashes and two flagons of mead. <laughs> I like this drink. Another. Smash. <laughs> uh, that was pretty funny when, when she said, you know, you need to just be, you know, complimented or whatever. He's like, I did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm putting this on Facebook. Smile. You know, I, I would have liked to have heard, I would have liked to have heard Thor stop and go, what's Facebook? But, Maybe that would have been a little obvious. I, I thought that attitude of his, though, Brad, of the um, I was complimenting or some of the other lines he said, I think that works better than when we talked about in the beginning of the these and nows. I thought that worked better to show how he's different from us. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Nows, whatever. I thought it was a great choice. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I'll echo what you guys were saying earlier. I'm just so thankful that Branagh did what, you know, made the choice that he did to uh, Stay away from the verilies and these and nows and death and whatnot. What do you, what do you guys think of? We talked a lot about the casting, and one of the things we skipped over was Jamie Alexander's Sif. That girl is cute. Yeah, we just needed more. Yeah, yeah I agree. Now I agree. in the in the uh, in the Straczynski run, wasn't there a little romance between Thor and Sif? There always has been in the comic. Uh, in fact, back in the original, like Kirby and Lee run, or, or Lee and Kirby run, Jane Foster and Sif would always be vying for the attentions of Thor. Yeah, okay. and even and, even and in we'll the, see, I mean, it goes back even that far. So even in the current run, it's uh, you know Jane Foster can have Don Blake and uh, Sif can have uh, have Thor, but in the movie you really couldn't have that. Hey, it, has there been any? talk i know obviously thor's gonna be in the avengers but has there been any talk about a second thor movie yeah, i've read something where brana tweeted that or there was a tweet i saw that brana wants to do it but it, the, the the quote was it's up to the fans and i'm pretty sure we'll see it yeah i think they wanted to make sure that it didn't flop yeah i guess um, it'll have to be after the avengers movie see, see oh, oh yeah Man three i would say if we're going to talk about what we'd like to see in the in the in the sequel, I would love to see them take the opportunity now. Now that this Thor's been established as being in this universe, maybe take a little step more back, like back into Asgard a little bit more, and take more into the mythology side of it. I'd even say go all in and uh, give us Beta Ray Bill or something like that. But but not be yeah, they really had to work hard and really had to establish Thor on Earth and on the Earth that's already been established. Um, now they can have some more fun and do more Thor, Asgard type things with it. Yeah. One of the things that I that really blew me away with this movie more, more even I think than the visuals and the casting was the sound. If if this movie does not win or at least get nominated for an Oscar for sound design, I don't know what will because 
between you know the, the the sounds the battles with the frost giants with him swinging the hammer with the the destroyer like you know like you were saying earlier Brad uh, and Bill commented on that sound the destroyer made was unreal but i was really 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 impressed with with the sound design of the movie um and i don't know why but it just really stuck out to me you know there was if i had to nitpick about one thing uh, it's tangentially related to what you were saying is when in the battle with the frost giants at the beginning of the movie when thor was helicoptering his his hammer and he was it was twirling vertically and it was kicking stuff up off the ground it almost sounded like a little bit of a Tasmanian devil, kind of a, you know, that kind of a, a, yeah. a, goof, a goofy, a goofy sound to it. But uh, other than that, um, the, the sound was phenomenal, like you said. And I would be remiss as a Foo Fighters fan if I didn't mention the fact that I got a uh, huge smile on my face when I heard one of the Foo Fighters songs from their new album. In the in the movie, not it was in the credits, yeah, but it was also in the bar scene when Skarsgård took Thor uh, to get a beverage. They drank, yeah. They fought. They made their ancestors proud. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. My daughter turned to me. She goes, "Is that the Foo Fighters?" I'm like, "Sure was." Yeah, I'm pretty sure. And it's appropriate too because the song's called "Walk" and learning to walk again, learning to talk again, and that's what Thor had to do when he came to Earth. You know, he had to learn how to act and learn how to do things differently. It was very appropriate. I just didn't like that scene when he was cooking the eggs for everybody. Really? It was kind of, kind of strange, wasn't it? Yeah, it didn't. That's, I think it fits along the lines of uh, when it was moving too fast. Like All of a sudden, he knows how to wear a little uh, towel on his pants and fry eggs. <laughs> <laughs> for a homeless guy, he's pretty cut. <laughs> hey, uh, another sound that was pretty cool was the sound of the rainbow bridge cracking. I thought that was a good sound design. But that brings me to the point of, hey, the bridge is gone at the end of the movie, and we've got the Cosmic Cube, we've got Jane Foster's research, both could be used to theoretically get Thor back. I'm kind of worried that we spend a lot of Avengers working with the team trying to figure out how to get to Asgard and how to get Thor back on Earth. I don't know. I hope they can get around Actually, that. We also I had Loki that. at the top in the movie itself saying there's more than one way to get into Asgard or something to that effect. So, and hopefully they use that. Yeah. I, but. See, for me, I just figure they'll just rebuild it and Avengers or the next Thor movie or whatever. It'll just be, yeah, it took some time, but, but we rebuilt it. Like, I don't see that as being a big deal. Yeah, I, I, I hope you're right, certainly, that they can fix it. It just seemed like when they destroyed it, I don't remember if it was Loki or Odin, but somebody made it sound like it was really – granted, nothing's permanent in comics, but they made it seem rather permanent. And like you'll never see her again if you do this. So yeah, I, I agree. Hopefully – there's a number of ways they can get around it, but hopefully they don't spend too much time of the Avengers movie dealing with that. Yeah, I'm yeah. with you. I thought it was a strange choice to end this movie that way, knowing that Thor is going to be back with the Avengers you know, real soon. So they kind of have to address that before they can move on. I think they've already established that Natalie Portman and her team or the Jane Foster are working on exactly that problem. They've established that at the end of the movie that she's continuing research. She knows about the bridge. She, she at least knows more about what, what it is, if not exactly how it works. So I, I can easily see us opening up the Avengers with, hey, I fixed it. I figured it out. And you just move on. Plus, at the end of the movie, they give her back her research and stuff. That's right? what I mean, yeah. They, they showed yeah. her that she was yeah. – and, and not only working on it, but working with S.H.I.E.L.D., hand-in-hand, hand, with their funding and blessing. 
and obviously with Selvig, I mean, it, it's I think it's already been said that Stellan Skarsgård is going to be in uh, the Avengers as Doctor Selvig. So, uh, so I thought that was interesting. One of the things also I noticed, it seemed like Samuel L. Jackson slimmed down a little bit. I think we have slimmer Nick Fury than we had um, chunky Nick he was Fury a, he in was Iron a Man chubby Two. Chubby in Iron Man Two, yeah, wasn't he? Yeah, we had chunky Nick Fury in uh, Iron Man Two. Too yeah. many tasty burgers. They all. <laughs> Or those donuts. He never came across. I never really did think he looked particularly large in Iron Man Two. Yeah, go back and rewatch it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't notice it either. But the uh, I was too busy looking at Scar Joe. I, I, <laughs> exactly. I, I noticed in in uh, in this movie and in the stills from Captain America that they uh, lost the leather coat and he has more of a cloth of some other type coat now. Yeah. Well, New Mexico is very hot. Yeah, well, maybe. Yes. Why do you think, and Bill was asking about this, why do you think they chose to center this story in, what was it, Arizona? New Mexico. Uh, New Mexico. New Mexico, as opposed to Broxton, Oklahoma. Tax cuts. The land of enchantment. I think my response to Bill's question was that it was more visually interesting. Um, I don't know if, how many of you guys have ever been to Oklahoma, but it's it's not visually interesting so much as like it's not. Yeah. Pardon the it's pardon the pun. It's not stark enough. It's not desert. It's not a wasteland. It's right. green and and hilly. You know there are, there certainly are parts of Oklahoma that are flatland like Kansas. Right. But uh, I think. You know, pretty much all of New Mexico is is that way, and uh, it, it kind of would have given it a, a different feel had it had been set in Broxton. Yeah, Oklahoma. it definitely evoked that Broxton JMS feel. Though the whole all the Earth scenes really felt that way, especially the Hammer sites. The yeah. uh, the diner that they eat at, incidentally, is the OK Diner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah. But uh, it's yeah. to me like it might have been a little nod. Yeah. Sure. The the. Sp- Football team mascot of the town is also the Vikings. This was uh, pointed out in several of the billboards. I would, I would have liked to have seen. Maybe they did. I missed it. If they refer to the cook behind the counter as Bill, that would have been nice. Yeah, yeah. It's funny how you know we talk. I, I, I guess because of Nick Fury, of Samuel Jackson being cast as Nick Fury, um, and just the way that they're approaching some things to think of this current crop of, of movie. And, and Ken and I kind of batted this back and forth um, a week or so ago about mimicking or aping more of the ultimate style, I guess because S.H.I.E.L.D. is, is becoming so prominent across um, the entire genre. But this one, I think the look of Thor, like, you know, the beard, the long hair, um, you know, him kind of being thought of as, as a bit of a, a crazy guy um, at first – um, you know, kind of lends itself to the ultimate side of the fence. But as far as the look of, of the costuming and, and you know, being set out in the desert and, the you know, the hammer being, you know, down there and, and him, you know, maintaining that identity or whatever, I mean, it definitely takes a lot, um, uh, uh, nods a lot to the, to the JMS Thor. I mean, I think that's, you know, obviously why he got a story credit on the, on the movie. Well, there is that one scene where Thor is in custody, you know, and Coulson walks out of the room, 
mm-hmm. and uh, Loki's talking to him through the mirrors and stuff. Mm-hmm. That that to me just totally reminded me of the very similar scene in the Ultimates. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it almost seemed like you know it was taken you know yeah. shot for shot. I, I, I just think it's right unfair. To Loki's uh, costume. Yeah, it's unfair to say it's it's uh, taking it's it's mimicking or trying to be the six one six or the Ultimate. It's definitely trying. They're definitely making their their own continuity on this and just simply taking what works from either side as needed. Yes. It, it's yes. got. It's not that they're trying to be one or the other. It's, it's they're just making their own way. Uh, right. Plus, they just spent a lot of time and money with the Ultimates rebooting, in a, in a sense, these franchises and modernizing them. Why wouldn't they take as much as possible that worked for these movies rather than trying to come up with a third well, different way? Well, of course. But I, I always, look, always look to Iron Man to say, yeah, uh, this Iron Man is nothing like the Ultimate Iron Man. So that throws right. the whole – they're doing the Ultimates right out the window. They're doing yeah. what makes sense for a real-world Avengers team, period. Yeah. And doing a great job of it. Yeah, Absolutely. I agree. I can't wait to see more of Hawkeye. That's yeah. gonna be that's gonna be really cool. Yeah, I think Jeremy Renner's gonna do a solid job. Yeah, it's, I, I can't wait for all these movies. And like, my my wife took the kids to a, a local baseball game Friday night, and a few weeks ago she said, "Hey, you want to go to a baseball game on May 6th? I'm like, "May sixth, May sixth. What is it about May sixth? No, absolutely <laughs> not. It's like, what? Yeah. Are you sure? A- absolutely not. Like, mocking me. I'm like, no, absolutely not. I've been waiting for that day for two years. Absolutely not. I'm not going. And yeah. uh, that same thing will be held true for uh, uh, Cap and the Avengers and whatever else may come later. Now, it's looking that the box office totals are hovering in it right at um, like 66 million, is what I think the current estimate is, which is, I guess, slightly better than what they expected. They ex- they the, the low estimates, I guess, were 60. Um, I guess I was, you know, it just seems like so many of these movies come out nowadays and they're huge blockbusters and have these $100 million weekends. But I guess it's a little unfair to put that on Thor. I mean, yes, it's a part of the whole Marvel family continuity thing going on. Um, but Thor is a pretty less, I mean, outside of comic, you know, geeks like us, a lesser known character. Um, it does have kind of the fantastical elements to it. Um, it's not a sequel. You know, many of the actors are, I mean, obviously, Natalie Portman and, and you know, Rene Russo and Anthony Hopkins are, are big names. But, you know, Hemsworth is a star and he's a bit of an unknown. Um, and then you have some of the, you know, Hiddleston isn't, isn't a huge name. Um, so I guess they're, they're happy with that. I, it, it seems like it, you know, they're more positive and more surprised by the overseas box office. So I guess right now it's hovering at, you know, over, you know, right over 200 million um, worldwide. So I, I think it's safe to say that this is a good sign for the Avengers and, you know, for Cap and then, you know, for, for a, a Thor sequel. You know, I remember when they originally were talking about how they're going to build up to the Avengers and, and in the mix was an actual movie for Ant-Man. And I thought, what? Like I did my well, own it's way. still in the works, just not for Avengers. Well, it's going to be uh, no, that's fine. Uh, Edgar Wright, though. That's fine. Let, awesome. it, let it spin out. Well, yeah, I mean, if it's not going to do Hank Pym, they were going to – if they were going to do a Hank Pym – Ant-Man try to introduce Ant-Man before the Avengers movie. Like I could see him being introduced in the Avengers and then spin him off into another his own movie later. But but if you're going to build up the Avengers and you set up these temples of of Iron Man, Hulk, Captain America and Thor and then also throw Ant-Man in there, it's like it, it's just not in the same in the same league. I think Thor while being a risk in terms of yeah, Hulk, Iron Man, and Cap, you, you, you don't have much of a risk there. Actually, Iron Man, I would say, did have a little bit of risk, but once it was proven that that first movie, was an, it was no-brainer. But I mean, the, 
the, the thing Iron Man had going for it is Robert Downey Jr., who right. you know across the board has a lot more a bigger name, a lot you know can attract the young crowd and the older crowd. So, so I think I think it had that going. For but it. I, I would almost guarantee that if you polled you know a hundred non comic reading fans about those four or five characters: Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, Hulk, and Ant Man. Ninety nine out of t- out of one hundred, none of them will ever have heard on Ant Man, and I would say ninety would get you Thor. The movie was rated PG thirteen, and I would say that this is a pretty mild PG thirteen. I mean, it, it is. There is no. There was it, no swearing. There yes. Was, there was no sex. There was no innuendo uh, that I caught. It literally said, you know, in the little ratings box, stylized action and comic book violence or something like that. And Thor flew literally f- flew through a huge monster and put a hole in it. Okay, that's that's, you know. Yeah, but there wasn't even much gore along with that. It was just no, a hole in the back, no, of, the there wasn't. back of his head, yeah. There wasn't and it looked like he had just come out of the shower. I expected to see him covered with with yeah. with work blood, but you know, he wasn't uh he wasn't at all. The, the, this I'm actually honestly surprised it was PG-13. Yeah, me too. So it begs the question: Do you think? And and the reason I ask this because a, a good friend of mine, you know, has a has a son that's you know right around the seven eight year old mark, and you know he's seen Iron Man, he's seen Iron Man too, but a lot of it is at home where he can kind of fast forward parts through that you know he may have trouble with or whatever. And I you know I told him I'm like, look, there's nothing, I, you know, I don't see anything anything wrong with this one. So do you think some parents may be waiting to gauge like? Okay, what what's the real word, you know, on this? Is it is it appropriate to take my seven, eight, nine year old or, you know, should I wait or, you know, things like that? And you know, I keep telling everybody that I talk to that, that you know, that have kids around that age, perfectly fine. I don't see anything really you know, the maybe in the very beginning the scene with the with the frost giants, it can be a little intense because it's dark. And and they are kind of scary, and it's it's a big battle. But outside of that, everything else is very car- stylized. The violence is very stylized, very almost cartoony. I um, could see some kids getting a little bit frightened by the destroyer, though. That was like even Bill said it was pretty intense, you know. Yeah. yeah, but but again, daylight. You know, nobody really gets hurt. I mean, there's a lot of stuff blowing up. You know, that kind of thing going on. But I wonder if this is going to have like maybe the second week. I guess is what I'm getting at is will this have legs? Like maybe okay, the 66 million is is not what we'd all hope for. I mean, I think we'd all have loved if it was in the 80 to 100 million range. But do, do you think that this might have more legs moving forward because people will take their kids and or go see it a second time and and things like that, where it may not have that that second week drop uh, that a lot of movies have. Yeah, I would predict uh, it, it'll drop, but it won't be a huge drop. I think it will carry us through uh, May. In fact, I don't think I'm not sure what's coming out next weekend. I don't think we have anything really big until the next big one's Pirates, and that's the, what the twenty first, twentieth, twentieth. Yeah. yeah. So that'll be the next the next big one to to take its place. I'm taking my four year old. I mean, really, he's he sees the trailers and he's like, that Thor's yeah. awesome. And uh, I'm actually more concerned. I'm, I am a little concerned about him getting scared, but we can deal with that. I'm more concerned with getting a little restless and bored during the quiet parts. Right, you know, right. Uh, Speed Racer was PG, and there was more in that movie that was offensive to me as a father than there was in this Thor movie. Didn't somebody give – didn't like a monkey give the camera the finger in that movie? Well, 
you know, I I didn't even stay for the whole thing because it was that bad. But the what I did see was a guy getting beat the living crap out of, and there was a couple of dams. And in a PG movie, I expect a, a kid to not have to hear the word damn and uh, to not watch somebody get beat the living snot out of. And that's what happened in Speed Racer. So th- it's, it shocks me that, that, that this was actually PG-13. I was at my brother's today for Mother's Day, and um, my, his, his son, my 8-year-old nephew, I told him I saw Thor, and he goes, well, it's PG-13, right? Can I see it? And I said, I said, Keller, I can't think of – and I was looking at his mom when I was saying this. I can't think of anything in this movie that would keep you from being able to see it. And I looked at his mom and said, there's no sex. There's no language – it's not scary. There may be some intense parts. He goes, well, is there, like, people getting killed and stuff? I said, monsters are getting killed. And he goes, I am so there. <laughs> hey, uh, 16 Candles is PG, and there are boobs in that, so. Well, th- you know, obviously, times have changed. The 80s were weird. That was John Hughes, though, so it was okay. Thank yeah. God. <laughs> <laughs> So does anybody else have anything to, to comment or say about Thor? I think we've we've beat it about the head pretty good. I'm just happy as a guy who would have you know put money on the fact that this movie was going to blow. I'm just more happy than I could ever have have wanted to be. Yeah, I was I was thrilled with it. Obviously, I spent you know 14 bucks to go see it in IMAX 3D. I'm gonna spend another 25 to take my kids to see it in 2D. So uh, yeah, I was happy with it. They just keep raising the bar. I'm just worried that Cap will be able to. I have a sick feeling in my stomach, John, about Cap. I don't. Not at all. I am I'm, so I'm glad. About Cap. I'm glad. And, you know, the, the last trailer makes me feel better about it. But something there's something uh, there's something about this movie that that scares me. I, I, th- I think, honestly, guys, it might be Chris Evans. Yeah. I think it'll do better in the U.S., not as good overseas for obvious reasons. Um, but as long as it doesn't flop, I mean, that's the big thing. You, you, you were saying, I think it was Ken was saying, you know, sixty-six maybe a little bit low than we'd like, lower than we'd like for whole or for Thor. But better a good but not great opening than either one of these movies tanking. I can I can deal with, and I think Marvel would rather deal with both of them doing good, not great. You know, the, the, the worst thing that's going to happen is if, if it does tank, we still have Avengers in production. We'll get that movie. I can't believe they would just you know not make that movie at this point. We may lose potentially lose Iron Man 3, but we've, we've had a nice set of Marvel movies here. If that's the worst thing that can happen is that we get the Avengers and then, then, then we're done, I, I wouldn't like it, but I could live with it. Well, something tells me we'll still get Iron Man 3 just because they could easily say, well, you know what, Iron Man 1, Iron Man 2, Bafo box office. Yeah. You know, people just weren't ready for the Avengers. The one thing I'm afraid of is if 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 if, if the the overall grosses for for Cap and Thor aren't what they want, that they're going to dial back the Avengers like either Cut back on some post-production effects, or um, you know, maybe scale back on some location shooting. Maybe or something maybe like that. they won't do the post-production it, in 3D, and they'll just release it in 2D. Wouldn't that be yeah. nice? Yeah, yeah. But if they, if they start scaling back, then of course that's going to make it you know suck. I, I guess more or whatever will lead to lower you know box office gross, and then you know it just kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy almost. So I'm hoping um, that that works out that way. I'm I'm betting that 
Marvel wishes that Cap came out first and Thor came out second. Just you know, I think with the whole Bin Laden thing, I think yeah. everybody's kind of <laughs> kind of riding high right now. So I'm I'm, I'm betting they probably wish that the schedules were reversed. I but. really think, from a storytelling standpoint, I mean, this this is the way it was always scheduled to do, and I think the stories are going to lead into each other in such a way that it, that wouldn't work. I mean, I yeah, yeah, from a from a money standpoint, yeah, it would be nice to have that out there, but from a storytelling standpoint, that would be probably be pretty bad. Hey, yeah. I have one last question. Do we, and I hope you guys didn't cover it, uh, do we know why it was released in the UK first? In Australia? I, I don't, the only yeah, thing Australia I'm had guessing... A, Australia had a week before UK, that's right. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'll rephrase it. Do we know why it wasn't released in the States first? My only guess is maybe Brana directing it, maybe because... Hemsworth is Australian. Released, Hemsworth right. is, though. Hemsworth is Australian, so there's that connection. Um, right, Brana's U- British, so you have the UK yeah. Hopkins. I don't know. Maybe piracy. You know, maybe if they if they launch it overseas first, then you know the whole overseas pirate market kind of dwindles yeah. down, and then they release it in the states. Yeah, that just means the that- states gets to download it quicker. Before, I mean, it it, <laughs> it was out there to be downloaded um, a week before. It, it launched here, so I mean that that just shifts where the piracy goes. It doesn't doesn't. You know, deter it. Also, this movie did huge numbers overseas, and they probably had a good inkling that it was going to happen. They might have wanted to be able to ride the good press and goodwill from overseas uh, right on over to the U.S. Right. And not only yeah. that, you just mentioned, uh, Jordan, yourself, that you would not expect Cap to do as well overseas. If any of the two of them, Thor would be the one that would do better overseas compared to Captain America. So let's get that in now, get people you know thinking about it. Uh, a reference that, that definitely makes a lot of sense because I know if I, if I lived you know in another country and I saw Thor first and then Captain America followed, I probably wouldn't hesitate to go see Cap. Well, also, I'm pretty sure overseas know, uh, they're just going to call it the first Avenger. They're probably going to drop the Cap title. I think that's together. actually right. Yeah, yeah. I oh, forget what movie it was, but there was a movie this spring or something that was released earlier overseas, and it was because of the World Cup. I have no idea when the World Cup is now, but a lot of times if there are big soccer events, they will uh, move the the overseas release dates around because the World Cup is so huge. I have an interesting question, if you guys don't mind. Good. Say Marvel, say Kevin Feige comes up to you and says, hey, I want you to make a Marvel movie. Unlimited budget, whatever you want to do, what would you do? Guardians of the Galaxy. Iron Fist. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd have, uh, since I would have answered this differently had they not decided to reboot Spider-Man, but since they have decided to reboot Spider-Man, I would bring it back to Marvel Studios and have them do it right. Because everything I've seen about the new Spider-Man makes me want to throw up. That's just me. Yeah, that's wow. Punisher, too. Like, I want, I want the Marvel Studios to do Punisher. That's a tough question for me because I mean, I'm, I, my limitation with Marvel is pretty much around the Avengers and around these characters, and they've all been so pitch perfect for me. I, I, I can't help but say they've already been done. I, I would say, I guess, a good Nick Fury, Shield, Howling Commandos movie. I mean, you, you know, given the fact that the Avengers are already out there and that's done, I, I would, I would like to see more Nick Fury, more Howling Commandos, more Shield. 
I would uh, I would do the I would do uh, Daredevil as an HBO series. That'd Ooh, that's cool. good. I like yeah. that, Jim. Nice. It's like a dream of mine, like starting with the Miller run and just work all the way through Bendis and Brubaker. That would be nice. Uh, that that's the greatest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> and, and no, and no Ben Affleck, please. Uh, the Affleck hate. Anybody got anything else? No. Thanks, guys, for letting me um, talk Thor. Uh, and I always like hanging out with you guys. Oh, our pleasure. Thanks for coming on, sir. Anytime. What we're going to do now is we're going to segue over to an interview that we conducted with John Simons from Comic Palooza, which is the convention that's going to be taking place in Houston, May 27th through the 29th at the George R. Brown Convention Center. And he's going to tell us a bit about the convention, kind of the you know history and origins of it, uh, some of the guests that are coming, and all the goodness that's going to go on. And um, hopefully, Mr. Milo will be there in a, in a few weeks because um, I think it'll be a good time. So, so we'll, we're going to go ahead and play play that now, and then that'll be the ending of the show. Isn't next week the uh, the big Smallville uh, season finale extravaganza? It mistaken. is. Well, next 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 uh, Friday. Well, actually, no. Tomorrow this airs is the finale. Uh, yes. We have to figure out when we're going to record that. So, and Russ will talk about that. So, it may it may not be next week's show of Legion of Dudes that we're going to do that one. Dun dun dun! But it's coming. Yes. Um, so I'll give us the I'll give the contact info here real quick. So as always, you can leave us a voicemail at five one six four six eight seven nine one two, and we'll play it just like we did Frank's. You can send us comments at comments at legionofdudes dot com. Check out the website, hhwlod.com, for all our blogs, um, movie reviews, all kinds of posts, exclusive content galore at the, at the website. You can check out our other shows, of course, Mr. Milo's Half Hour Wasted every Monday. Of course, us at Legion of Dudes every Thursday. We've got the Walking Dead TV podcast. And apparently, at some point, we will be doing Media Minutes again. I think we're uh, – we'll <laughs> hopefully, hopefully we'll get some submissions here pretty quick. I know um, we've had a couple emails asking about it. It's not gone. It's not dead. Um, we will be bringing it back. So until next week, thanks for joining us and hope you enjoyed Thor. All right. And joining us on the phone or on Skype, I should say, is John Simons, the proprietor, ringleader of the Comic Palooza convention that is going to take place in Houston, Texas, on May 27th through the 29th of this year. Good evening, John. Good evening. How are you doing, Russell? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Um, it's it's good to talk to you. We, uh, I guess we go back. I guess a ways you could say. Yeah, quite a ways. Yeah. Um, when when did you guys open Midnight Comics in Houston? 1994. 94. And right. Texas. And so I guess going from being a comic book shop proprietor to running a convention how does that how does that take shape you know um there are other guys who've done it too it's something um if you look at the people who who organize comic conventions a lot of them are retailers or wish they were retailers a lot of retailers wish they were convention organizers but i think it's it's a little bit different for everyone um you know i sold i sold midnight off uh almost a year ago and uh that was so that I could focus on the convention. Um, a lot of guys, they, you know, they'll manage to keep both open, or they'll just sort of dabble in one and not in the other. Um, for me, the decision was that the convention, the convention, has the potential to be uh, a really big thing. 
for the industry and for the fans of Texas, much bigger than, than one store location. So I decided that was the thing that I needed to focus on. And we've really seen it kind of grow. I mean, this is coming up, this is the third year of Comic Palooza, is that right, or is it the fourth? It, you know, it, it depends on how you want to count it. Um, <laughs> this is the second year as a real full-fledged convention. It's the fourth year for an event with the name Comic Palooza, but you know, in, in 2008 when we did it, it was just, I mean, it was just a, a dozen guys signing comic books in the lobby of a movie theater. And that was the, that was um, July 19th, 2008, the weekend that The Dark Knight came out. So we had guys signing uh, in, the, in the movie theater, and uh, they got to watch the movie, they sold a few comics, but it was a very low-key event. Um, we got invited back and it became a two-day comic book festival in the mall the next year. So it was completely different that year. And then um, in 2010, it became a full three-day uh, comic convention, comic and pop culture convention with lots of other kinds of things, with celebrities, uh, science fiction and horror and a film festival. And we, we really added a lot to it. And um, so it really kind of depends on how you want to count it. It's, in a technical sense, it's our fourth year, but it's the, the second year as, as, a, as a real con. Right, and I was there when you guys were in West Oaks in 2009, and it was, you know, for, for it to take place in a mall, it was pretty impressive. I mean, you guys were kind of sprawled out. You had, like, a closed-off store section that you, you know, you had stuff in. And then, um, yeah, I didn't make it in, in 2010. So what was, I guess, the big leap for you to go from, you know, the mall to the George R. Brown, which is no small feat? Well, um, first of all, you have to understand, even though this – Comic Palooza was kind of a surprise to me. Um, it was only a surprise because it ended up the vehicle for creating this convention. I'd actually been, you know, researching conventions and, and doing a business plan on a convention since 2005. And um, Comic Palooza was just a little event. wasn't planning for that to be it. So basically, what happened is after um, after uh, doing it in West Oaks Mall after after that year. I went and I, I took Comic Blues and said, okay, this is going to be the, the, the big event, the one that we are going to try to turn into the big regional convention for Texas. And um, so really it was, it, was, it was just seeing that, that uh, Comic Blues was, was our opportunity. And um, we, had some, we had some help with that. Um, you know, the, the city noticed what we were doing and uh, the Convention Bureau, Bureau, to be uh, exact. And, you know, they're very supportive of conventions. You know, they, that's, that's their job. But they, they're trying to increase the amount of conventions in the city. And they help us, you know, deal with a lot of things. Um, it's very hard to get into something like the Georgia Round, uh, which is one of the ten largest convention centers in the country. It's, it's enormous. And there's a, there's a lot of moving parts once you move up to that size. Um, my budget, when, when we did the event in the mall, um, my budget was less than $4,000. Wow. Um, when I went to George R. Brown, it cost almost as much um, to run that three-day event as it took me to run my comic book store for a year. Wow. So um, there, was a huge, there was a huge jump, lots of, lots of more moving parts, lots of additional things that had to be done. And so it was, it was very helpful uh, and, and allowed us to do some things on a bigger scale uh, to have the advice and, uh, and counsel of, of the, uh, the city. 
is it's uh and and we've had I mean we've had decades where we've seen other cities have all these really cool things but we haven't. So doing this in Houston means that there are a lot of organizations that maybe don't understand exactly what what it is that we're you know setting out to do, but they like it. You know, we've had we've had um, health and assistance cooperation from a lot of very unlikely allies and partners, and uh, that's that's been very helpful to us also. Awesome. I know I'm excited about it because I lived in Houston for 20 years and. We never really had any kind of convention a- anywhere near. I mean, Austin didn't have anything. Houston didn't have anything. Um, San Antonio didn't have anything. And, you know, it was kind of a shame that the fourth largest city in the country, um, you'd have to go, you know, to Dallas as the closest place um, and, and considerably out of state or the East Coast or the extreme West Coast just to, just to get a decent convention. So I'm, I'm really wow. – I'm really hoping that you know things continue to, to prosper with this, and it and it becomes a destination spot, not just you know not just a con for the for Houstonians, but you know a destination spot for the rest of the country. Yeah, and and we're really working on that. Um, one of the things that we're doing that's that's different uh, from other conventions that have been in in the state is that we're trying to become a, a you know a showcase for the industries, both for the comic book industry and also for um, for the film industry, and, and part of that is because we see that that's what people really want. You know, you look at San Diego, and and, and people want all of that, and and that's understandable. You know, comics. We, we think of comics as just comics, but those characters are in every form of media. Medium now. Um, there's, you know, comic book. There's Spider-Man in comic books, and he's in toys, and he's in the movies, and he's in video games, and he's in a lot of other things too. So. You know, uh, people want all of it, and we're trying to incorporate all of it and support those industries, and um, that that makes a big difference. Uh, the other thing that we're trying to do is add a great deal of entertainment, because uh, the, some of the most successful conventions, you know, they're places where you you have amazing memories. You know, you look at Dragon Con out in uh, uh, Atlanta, and people go there, and that's like four days of just crazy fun, right? And so we decided there's no reason that we shouldn't be doing that, too. So we've been really increasing the amount of programming that we have. So we have, we have companies that are coming in and, and um, showcasing new projects and new products. And, and that includes big companies like Wizards of the Coast is going to do product announcement. It means that we have, uh, we have a couple of uh, – we have a film company um, that I won't mention now. And uh, we also have an animation company, both – are going to be announcing uh, their their next projects at Comic Palooza. You know, one is a uh, uh, you know it's a feature length film. The other is an animated film um, based on a, a popular um, on a book by a popular sci-fi author. So we have all of that going on, and then we have all this other stuff like uh, you know bands and Quidditch matches and roller derby and performers and all sorts of things. So it's really designed to be a place where you can come and you, you just get everything for you know three days, just go crazy. And it's it, one one of the th- a few things I notice about about this con is it seems to be open later and there's events going on later than most cons. I know like with the Austin con it closed down about I think seven eight o'clock um, on I think Friday or or Saturday. I know uh, even San Diego the con itself 
you know, shuts down early. I know there's a lot of ancillary activities, but it seems like you, you guys have a lot of stuff planned, you know, well into the evening um, for all, you know, at least Friday and Saturday. Until 2 a.m. on both Friday and Saturday, and then we go until 8 on Sunday, and most cons in their second year close up about 4 o'clock. So we stay open until 8, and that's sort of nominal. We really expect that there'll be things going on past 8 o'clock on Sunday, but... Um, yeah, and you know, part of that is you have to remember that different have a very different nature. And uh, you know, sci-fi cons, anime cons, they tend to be either very late or they tend to have 24-hour events. There's, you know, they're, they're much more programming intensive, and we have a lot of that. So we've increased our, our hours to um, really to to cater to all of those markets. Um, and of course, a film festival. I mean, you know. What film festival closes at seven? I mean, that would just be silly, and that's something where we're we're really trying to uh, to bring that up and make that uh, make that much more of a thing. We really want to be uh, a place where where people will go and say, "Wow, I can go see you know new movie or um, do all these other activities," and and you know you got a whole whole evening of stuff. Um, Oh, and of course, gaming. Gaming late night, too. So. Outside of, of the events and the gaming and some of the, the performers that you have, I mean, you're obviously going to have some comic professionals and some celebrity guests. So can you kind of run down some of the folks that are going to be in attendance um, on that side of the fence? Sure. Well, and, and we have some great celebrities. But I'm going to mention some comic book people first because, really, that's, that's what we started as. Um, we have Arthur Sudam. Um, and anybody who loves zombies knows his work. Uh, he's, you know, the zombie king, famous for doing uh, Marvel zombies and like a million zombie covers, you know, all over the, the comic book industry. Um, so we have him. Uh, we have Bob Layton. And if, if you're kind of a, a younger person and you don't know Bob, if you like Iron Man, then you are a fan of Bob Layton. Uh, he kind of defined Iron Man's look in the 70s. And uh, he's considered one of the definitive artists of Iron Man. Um, and then we have uh, a bunch of guys like uh, uh, David Mack and Andy Kuhn are coming back. Um, they're always a lot of fun, very popular with, uh, with the attendees. Um, we just added Don Kramer, who's the artist on Wonder Woman. We have, a, we have um, Phil Hester, and uh, he's, a, um, he's a writer and an artist. Um, some of you will remember him as the, the penciler who uh, was on Green Lantern when, when uh, Kevin Smith brought him back from the dead. Brought all from the dead. Green Arrow. Did I say Green Lantern? Yes. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. No, that's right. Green Lantern's on the brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it really is. It really is. Um, yeah, Green Arrow. Um, uh, but anyway, we've got him. Uh, we've got Chris Roberson, um, who's a, another fantastic writer. Joe Lansdale, uh, who is a novelist, screenwriter, and a comic book writer. And uh, we, we just added, um, not too long ago, um, Terrence Dunich. And he is the guy who created uh, Repo, the genetic opera, uh, which is sort of like this generation's Rocky Horror. Um, but he is also a comic book creator, and um, he's actually going to be with the other comic book guests. And let me see, uh, who else are we? Well, I mentioned um, 
we have uh, Brian Denham, who works who does a lot of work for um, Texas's own Antarctic Press. He's going to be there. We have Joe Eisma, um, and Joe, um, he's the artist on Morning Glories, which is, uh, you know, a hot book. Um, we have Ali Garza. Anybody who likes Fathom uh, will remember him. And um, we've got a, a number of other guests, like we've got other artist guests, like we've got Randy Martinez, who's a he's like the top Star Wars artist. Um, we have Terry Moore, uh, who's like the, you know, the biggest comic book name in Houston, famous for Strangers in Paradise. So that's that's a lot of our of our comic book guys. Um, there's a few more writers too. Um, it, it, it's a pretty it's a pretty full lineup. And then we have our celebrities. And among them, we've got we've got some uh, pretty well-known people. If you like uh, uh, True Blood, we have Sam Trammell coming. He plays Sam Merlot uh, from True Blood, so he's he's one of the top people on that show. If you like Firefly, you know who didn't in this crowd? Um, we have Sean Mayer who played uh, Simon Tam, uh, the Doctor. Uh, we have Edward James Olmos. He's really, you know, a legend. And uh, his company, Almost Productions, is is going to be uh, um, at the convention making making an announcement. Uh, we got Marina Sirtis, who played Deanna Troy on Star Trek: The Next Generation. Tony Todd, who is one of the scariest men I've ever wanted to meet in my life. <laughs> um, um, loved him on Candyman, and uh, you know he's he's in um, Final Destination Five. It's coming out this August. So and then we've got you know Peter Mayhew and uh, and Jeremy Bullock from Star Wars and uh, you know uh, a number of other people and we're we're still adding guests we've got we've got three or four celebrities that we may still be adding wow yeah, yeah it's, it's a lot of people yeah pretty impressive list again for you know a newer con to have that caliber of of guest is like you know I, I go to the site. Um, comicpalooza.com, you know, pretty frequently to see, you know, have you added anybody, you know, who's who's coming, you know, next and and stuff like that. So it's 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 interesting to see, you know, as the weeks go by, the list gets longer and longer. Yes, yes, it does. Um, sometimes I can't, you know, I, I go back through it myself. And I'm like, well, wow, we've got a lot of people coming this year. So, but uh, that's that's good. That's kind of the way I wanted it to be. And there's going to be. Like at all most cons, there's going to be plenty of dealers and you know people selling, you know I'm sure comics and toys and you know goodies and this that and the other as well. Yeah, yeah, we've got one of the largest dealers rooms in uh, uh, in all of Texas. We're we're going to be sold out probably in the, in the next week. So we'll be sold out like uh, a week week and a half before the con. Um, wow. Our stock is already sold out, and um, our dealers room is like 120 uh, dealers booths. So um, that's that's right up there. That's in the same vicinity as uh, as uh, the Wizard Austin show last year. So it's pretty packed. We have our artist alley has been sold out for a couple of weeks. So we have a, a lot of artists, um, but we have you know we have we have more than that. Um, the the uh, Austin show that Wizard put on, they were I think they were about a hundred eighty thousand square feet um, total space for their event. And uh, we just announced uh, recently that we're actually 298,000 square feet. So a lot of that is, um, you know, like programming space, you know, for 
demonstrations and entertainment and things like that. But we we definitely got the space. You know, it's the the biggest event. Nice. So very very good. So I guess on the pr- particulars, I for one, I'm looking forward to. I'm going to try and be there. Um, all day Friday, Saturday, and a good bit of Sunday. Um, it just depends if I can get off of work in time on Friday. But I definitely will be there all day Saturday and a, and a good bit of Sunday. So I'm really, really looking forward to it. I think um, Brad and Frank from Half Hour Waste that are going to be down, down there as well. Um, I, um, I'm really hoping that they'll uh, – la- last I heard from them, they were, they were both um, pretty sure they were going to be there, and I think Brad more so than Frank. So – um, so we'll have the three of us kind of wandering around to do random recordings. Frank's usually good about that, and we'll be uh, so we'll be covering covering the show quite a bit, um, kind of like what we did for Austin, Wizard World Austin, and um, some of the other cons that we go to around um, around the country and around the state. So I, I, I'm really looking forward to something a little closer to home for me, and uh, and and all the fun. So uh, as far as particulars go, where can folks go to? You know, see the entire guest list, the schedule of events, um, ticket pricing, location, all that good stuff. Well, you can get all that information at cometpalooza.com. That's C-O-M-I-T-P-A-L-O-O-Z-A dot com. And you can, you can get your, uh, you can register there. Uh, there's there's a, a button for registration. That's where you, you can buy your passes. It is, it is a little bit cheaper to buy them in advance, but the big advantage to buying them early is Essentially, no lines. Um, that's a that's a big advantage. Also, that's where the, the guest list is. Um, we're still putting up events. As all of our events event lists become finished, they go up on the website, and we're working on the program book. And as soon as the program book is done, we'll have it as a PDF download, um, so that you can actually, you know, hopefully, hopefully, a full week ahead of the con, you'll be able to download the. The uh, program book and take a look at all of the events that are going on and, and plan your weekend. Excellent. So, I guess just to wrap up, is there anything else that you want to tell folks about the the con? Is there anything else that uh, that we didn't cover that you want to shout out to? Um, I think that was that was pretty much it. Uh, um, I, I think the only other thing that that I really have to say is, you know, this is uh, this is not an event that most Texans are expecting. You know. Um, we've never had something like this. The closest thing um, that we have in this state is South by Southwest. And that's the most important, significant pop culture event in the state. And uh, I think that people will see after coming to this that Comet Blues is the number two. You know, being number two to South by Southwest is pretty good. And I think that's where we are right now. Because we certainly put in a lot more... Uh, uh, a lot of different kinds of things than you get at other comic conventions. So this is a, a significant event, and I hope that we get a lot of uh, a lot of turnout so that, so that uh, Texans who are not familiar with this sort of thing can see what what this kind of event really is. Awesome. Well, we are doing our best between us and Half Hour Wasted, trying to get the word out and talk to folks that um, you know through Facebook and Twitter and whatnot. And like I said, we'll be covering covering the con when we get there. Um, maybe if you're not running around with your hair on fire over the weekend, maybe we can steal you away for a few minutes and just kind of get your impressions of you know how things are going and uh, and uh, and what you think as the weekend progresses. Well, we'll certainly try to do that, and uh, I'll make sure that you've got my. Uh my phone number. Well, you, you you got my phone number, so you can contact me at the convention. Sure, sure. And uh, I'd, I'd be happy to give you a few minutes if I, as long as I can get away. Awesome. 
Well, John, thanks for your time. We know you're you're busy getting everything going, but uh, but again, we just wanted to kind of take a little time and, and help get the word out. Thank you, guys. I, I really appreciate it. Awesome. Bye. Bye. Bye.